are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in, have a seat. What's happening? It feels like a hot second since I've recorded an episode of the show, and I think that's mostly because uh, many of our episodes that have been coming out the past few weeks are episodes that have been in the queue. Uh, Your boy's been pretty busy uh, between doing the Film Quest Film Festival thing this year and the multiple episodes of that, and then doing all of the um, Fujifilm Creator Series episodes. Um, It's just been a hot second since I've been sitting behind the microphone, and uh, I got a week ahead of me, man. I have uh, one, two, three, four, five guests booked this week. So this week is podcast week, uh, pushing our way into the holiday, into Christmas. Um, I think on Thursday or something, Lance and I are going to sit down and do a wrap-up sort of Christmas episode, which I'm excited about. Um, But it's been a minute. It's been a minute. How are you? How are your holidays? How's your end of the year? Um... Those of you in the business, uh, has work started to pick up for you? I mean, as loud as the strikes were and as loud as the SAG strike was, uh, has it officially ended, right? It kind of pitted off at the end there. Like people were like, I think it's ended. It wasn't as loud as when it started, right? I think we're out. I think we're in the clear. Um, but of course the way timing works in our industry, the strike ends right when the holidays start. So uh, the irony is, is that uh, Hollywood's closed until mid-January anyways. So what difference does it make? But I am seeing, I'm feeling uh, work opening up a bit. I, I have an optimistic outlook on this new year, and I think it's going to get real fucking busy. I think it's going to get really intense. Um, so uh, hopefully you're prepared. Hopefully you spent your time working on your craft a little bit. Maybe you're ready to rock. I hope so. I'm, I've been trying to do as much as I can. Um, you know, do, I'm always like second guessing my, my current worth work ethic, by the way, because I feel like maybe I got a bad work ethic now because I haven't had to work as much, or maybe I just don't have the craving to work as often as I did. Is that just the residue from COVID maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I'm always beating myself up about that, but that's another topic today. I'm excited. It's been a while since I've had an illustrator on the show and today's guest not only is an illustrator, not only is he a horror movie nerd, um, but uh, he's also a metalhead. And so um, how I found today's guest, how I was introduced to his work, um, happened this year when I went to one of the many concerts that I was lucky enough to go to this year, which I think is also residue from COVID because all during COVID, we couldn't do fuck all, right? And so as soon as we had the opportunity to go to shows, I said yes to everyone. Um, but uh, me and my buddy, Will Simmons, uh, he got us tickets to go see Metallica. So we got to go to the Metallica tour, the, the, the ginormous Metallica tour um, that uh, came out here to Los Angeles. And uh, it took place at the massive football stadium out here. I can't remember what it's called, but the massive stadium. It's huge, humongous. Um, and it was one of the biggest shows that I've seen in a long time. Massive, massive show. Metallica with Pantera opening for them, which those of you who are over the age of 30, you know who Pantera is. And you know uh, that uh, many, most of Pantera isn't alive anymore. You know, Dimebag, who was the guitarist for Pantera, was gunned down on stage 
um, and it was a sad moment. And I think his brother, who was the drummer, he didn't he also die? Um, but I think that was from something else. Should have done your homework, Michael, before you started to talk about this stuff. But uh, it was an epic show, and uh, seeing uh, Phil come out, who's the lead singer of Pantera, and still have the pipes, still have the voice, and seeing um, Zach Wild fill in for Dimebag on guitars. And those of you who know anything about hard rock or metal, you know that Zach Wild is a legend in uh, this world. And uh, it was such a really cool fucking concert to go to, right? It sort of kicked the door open um, on the metal kid that was laying dormant in me for quite some time. Um, but whenever I go to a show, especially a metal show, one of my favorite things to do is to get a metal t-shirt. It's just that. They're cool as fuck. Uh, they feel like uh, an outfit or armor for metal fans, right? There's a certain bragging rights that come from getting a very specific limited edition only sold on tour shirts. Uh, and when you bump into another metal fan wearing one of these shirts, they go, fuck, you were on that tour. Holy shit. And it's a great conversational starter, right? So whenever I go to a show, I'm always looking at the merch table. And I also know that the merch goes to support the bands, right? Not, not like Metallica needs our support, but, you know, smaller shows. I will go buy merch because I know it supports the art, the artists themselves. And more often than not, if they're a smaller band that, that's touring merch, they're, require, they're relying on the merch table to pay for gas, literally, and food to get across the country. And so that's my first stop. And we went and we were looking at merch. And <clears throat> I, in my mind, I have a very specific type of metal shirt that I love, right? And this is maybe it's because of my years working in the music store and, and sort of like drooling over these illustrated album covers from like, you know, Judas Priest, uh, Megadeth, uh, Napalm Death, Cannibal Corpse, like these like really intense, often graphic and violent drawings that uh, were epic and like doom inducing illustrations. And, and that has always been in my brain or you might even be able to go further back to when I was in elementary school and a couple of the more dangerous kids would run around with these black t-shirts that I'm sure their dads bought them. And uh, they would have like illustrated shirts with like the fat guy from that Warrant album, like the big fat cat with the cigar and the money or uh, that uh, really intense Metallica sketch that was this uh, woman that was screaming and she was wrapped with barbed wire and she was screaming and she was topless. And then there were these two skeleton arms that were crossing underneath her like a skull and crossbones and they were pulling her hair. And uh, that was like a really fucking intense, that, that illustration sticks with me forever, man. Um, and so when I think about metal shirts, I think about that sort of vivid uh, icon iconography, right? That's the right word. Um, and so, when I go to a merch table at a show, at a modern show, I'm always sort of cringing, right? Like, what am I going to mean? What, what kind of shirts are we going to get? Because this sort of hit a period of time where a lot of shirts just got eh, function over form. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was like, what, what can we do really quick? Is it just the logo? Is it just some color swatches? Stuff just felt safer, right? 
Um, and as we're walking to the merch table, I'm seeing all these people walk by with these shirts and they're just, they're jumping out at me. They're beautifully done. An illustration of a skull that has the top of its head exploding. And there's a switchblade coming out of his head. There's a, uh, an alarm clock, a vintage alarm clock, like a uh, beer and cigarettes, all sorts of stuff sort of coming out of the top of the head of this skull that is underlit with this very strong yellow light. And all the shadow work is done with a contrasting color, this sort of blue, this light blue light. And uh, it's fucking cool. It's got sharp teeth. It's really cool. And the shirt and the, the back had all these little skulls on it. I'm like, wow, that's a fucking rad shirt. And so we go to the booth. And, you know, as I was thinking, a lot of the shirts were pretty lame. And this was the one outlier. This was the coolest fucking shirt. And uh, we ended up getting it. Uh, me and Will. I think we, Will got the same shirt. Um, and uh, I just fell in love with it, man. And it, I was proud to wear this shirt. And everywhere that I would wear this shirt out, people would go, fucking cool shirt rad shirt and i was examining it and i'm like why is it so cool and it's like okay the the, the contrast in colors is, is a really big draw for me on this but it's there's also a personality to this shirt like i could feel the artist in this shirt who is this guy right so i did some research um and i found uh today's guest luke priest luke priest is on the show today he is an illustrator an art director um, and if you go to his website right now, go to Luke, L-U-K-E-P-R-E-E-C-E.com, LukePriest.com. The link is in the description of today's episode, by the way. Go to his website now and look at his work and the stuff that he's done. And I was, my jaw dropped when I first went to his website, right? Because the Metallica shirt I loved. But you go there and you look at the bands that he works with. Uh, he's done illustrations for Pearl Jam right? He's done illustrations for Elton John. <laughs> he's done illustrations. Um, let me see who else. Oh, he's got a bunch of, I don't want to get to the nerdy movie stuff because there's a lot of nerdy movie stuff. Uh, Slipknot, uh, tons of really great Metallica shirts. He's got a Cthulhu Metallica shirt that I want. I want that shirt. Uh, if you guys are looking for a newer band, Sleep Token, he's done two really great uh, illustrations for them, Avenged Sevenfold, uh, Blink-182, amazing. Uh, I, like tour shirts, like uh, tour um, posters, really great stuff. Now, for those of you who aren't metal folks um, and you're more of the movie nerds, he did the illustrations for the Mondo Godzilla um vinyl release so he did the godzilla versus mecha godzilla soundtrack which is fucking cool as hell he did godzilla versus mecha godzilla 2 which is cool as hell i'm looking at these as we talk now you guys should be on the website with me uh he did an amazing poster for jurassic park which we talk about how that was made on today's show you get to hear that um, he also did a bunch of Transformers stuff, Alien vs. Predator. Um, his work is fantastic. And when you look at it, um, it feels like it's got the same sort of quality that you would expect from a Mondo, right? So any sort of Mondo poster work. Um, but he definitely has his own personality. And it's, it's in here. It's very specific to him. 
Um, and I have been staring at this work because I've already done the interview. I've been staring at this work for over two hours while doing this interview. And I'm still in awe of the stuff as I go through his website. Um, so I highly suggest while you're listening to today's show, have his website also loaded because uh, you'll be able to see the stuff that we're talking about specifically. Um, and uh, we get into everything. We talk about um, how to be an illustrator or how to like work as an illustrator, how to stay motivated, how uh, to process a lot of the insecurities that come with it, how to deal with clients with this. So if you're coming into this as an illustrator or wanting to get uh, some sort of insight on how Luke does his thing, you'll get some of that. We also talk about um, how he was able to get Metallica as a client and then what uh, drawing for Metallica, how that changed his work and uh, where that went. Uh, we also talk in depth on our favorite metal albums from the late 80s, early 90s. And so if you're someone that is curious about metal, there's a lot of recommends that we give you. Um, and if those of you who are metal fans, um, you just got to remember that there's a whole new generation of folks out there that have never even heard of these albums. And uh, I think it's important as uh, fans of something to promote these things and to give recommendations. I think it's stronger and more powerful than an algorithm or playlist. And so we're going to give you a bunch of really heartfelt, really deep love recommends for stuff that we like and listen to or have listened to. Um, and so that's all loaded in today's show. But before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. I have been keeping you up to date with all sorts of cool and new things. If you guys have been on my Instagram, you've seen me posing a lot of questions, a lot of random questions on Instagram, talking about lightning moments that you've had, asking questions about uh, different experiences that you have. One would even say that I might be doing some research for some new stuff, which is very true. Uh, we are in the talks of what 2024 is going to bring for this podcast. And um, don't want to spoil it yet, but the show is getting bigger. And the uh, In Love With The Process brand, the ILWP brand is branching out a little bit. And uh, we are going to be bringing you more content, more interesting content uh, in the podcast format. So if you enjoy this show, there's going to be lots more for you to listen to. So make sure that you are subscribed to us on whatever podcast provider you use. And as we release new content, it will be released through In Love With The Processes RSS feed. Okay. So I uh, just wanted to let you guys know all that. I don't want to go too deep in much of anything else because I think that's going to happen later in the week with Lance. So let's do it. If you're ready and you're, you're ready to go deep into the illustrated world of metal, you're ready to go deep into the illustrated world of uh, movie posters and vinyl covers, if you are someone that is obsessed with detail, if you're someone that wants to finally get paid to do what it is that you want to do, what it is that you like. If you want people to hire you because of creating the work that you love the most, then today's episode is the one for you. So turn up those noise-canceling headphones. Find a nice, comfy place to relax. Make sure you have Luke's website open so that you can go through it once again. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode 
I'm in love with the process. Thanks for joining me on the show this morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's morning for me. It's it's like, what, almost nighttime for you over there? We're, you're in the UK, correct? Yeah, it's 5 p.m. here now. So, yeah, it's dark and dingy and pretty miserable. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be expected. <laughs> to be expected. I don't to think be I, expected. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I call people from the UK going, it's sunny, it's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a um, it's been a very wet year this year weather wise. Like we haven't had a very good summer. Mm. Um, like normally we'll get like a few weeks of like we'll get like a heat wave and stuff, but it's just it's just been a bit yeah pretty terrible this year for weather. And because uh, of the time of the year it is now, because we're in the winter now, it's yeah. like it just like it gets dark at like four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> it's what I would expect. <laughs> Yeah, so, we, yeah. It, it's it, it's been a wet all the way around. It's been a wet year for most people. Like out here in Los Angeles, I mean, two years ago at this point, or I don't know. It's been fucking time travel. But uh, we were at like the worst drought that we've ever been, and then it just you know pissed rain on us for like almost a month. And so now it's Los Angeles was like transformed from just like brown 
and yellow hills to like Jurassic Park. <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> what kind of plant is that growing out of the ground? So it's been <laughs> it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, sure. yeah. 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 Uh, well, uh, I'm excited to have you on the show. And to be honest with you, how I saw your work or how I was introduced to your work initially um, mm -hmm. was uh, I was lucky enough to go see Metallica. I, got, I saw Metallica on tour out here in um, Los Angeles, and I went with my buddy Will. And, uh, you know, I grew up a metal kid. I grew up a comic book kid. I'm a nerd with all that stuff. And so whenever I go Same. to... Yeah, I know, dude. I can't wait to get into it. Whenever I go to, <laughs> whenever I go to a metal show, for me, it's, you know, I grew up like a young kid with metal t-shirts and metal tees and like super cool illustrations. And like, I, I remember the old, um, you know, Guns N' Roses screaming uh, woman with like bone skeleton arms, like pulling her hair, like all that really, really fun, cool uh, fantasy stuff. And yeah there's always a risk whenever you go to a show you're either going to get some real lame t-shirts or, or you're going to see some cool shit and people kept walking by um with this yellow which i thought was i mean it made sense because their new album was very yellow but i thought it was pretty mm -hmm. rad for metallica this yellow shirt of a skull with its forehead exploding and uh, 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 a clock coming out of the top of it and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was um, that design was one of those uh, quick. We need a T-shirt before tour starts. Kind of jobs that came in last minute, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it's been that T-shirt has been really popular. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of it was like one of those things where you know normally putting a piece of artwork together, I'll have like a monthly time to do it, and this mm -hmm. was like I had to churn that out in like a week or something. <laughs> are you so was, are uh, you are you happy with it? Are you happy with how it came out? Oh yeah, I am. Yeah, because it was one of those things that was like, oh man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've got like a, a week or so to work on this thing. Um, I think I they, um, the the guys that I work with, um, uh, Probity, um, Chris, uh -huh. he just sent me a WhatsApp like, dude, we need the shirt for the tour, and I was like, okay, the shirt, because I think. Because I think a lot of the merchandise was just all like, related to the album. It was like the the, re the record artwork. Mm -hmm. and they just wanted something that was like, you know, like an artist's interpretation, I guess, of what uh, 72 seasons meant to them. So I kind of looked at the sleeve. I was like, okay, well, they've got like this kind of the cut, the crib thing on the cover, the yellow um, uh, color palette with the all the stuff that's like kind of looks like it's sort of exploded out in front of the, the cop. Mm hmm mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, well, Metallica likes skulls on stuff, so let's just do a big skull with all this stuff exploding out the top of it. And that was that was the image I had in my head. Um, <laughs> quickly, like, just roughed it out in a, like an afternoon. Um, yeah, sourced a load of reference for the things that are coming out of the head. Uh, it's actually my daughter, uh, my daughter's uh, alarm clock that I used as reference for that. <laughs> it's so, super uh, cool, man. It's super yeah, so I just yeah, so I just got all this stuff together. And yeah, and then just, you know, trade out the rough, came together really good. Uh, I was really pleased with how it came together. I kind of wanted to get that up lighting of the yellow in there because that was another thing. It was like, you need to get the yellow yeah. color palette in there. So I was like, okay, well, let's get this, get this sort of strong up light of the yellow coming through. Yeah. Um, and then, and then obviously the tour like happened and because it was sold throughout Europe and then, uh, yeah. And then obviously it's going to all the, 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 the shows like in the States and stuff. 
And I got a message from the guys saying, um, not the band, from like management and the merchandiser, saying that it's done really well. It's like the highest selling on the tour, which was just like, whoa, that's cool. I didn't, you know, it just kind of shows you like this kind of quick sort of first idea thing that I just sort of banged out as quickly as I could. (laughs) It's just like, it's almost like sometimes that first idea is the best idea. Like, yeah, um, man. You probably know this, like, because you're a creative person yourself. So yeah. sometimes you can, like, overthink an idea. And I think that's a really good example of an idea that came together really quickly. And it was, and it did well. So, yeah, man. I mean, it's always that case, right? So it's like, yeah. it, it just seems like the less time that we have to overthink something and the more sort of guttural it is. Um, there's a reason why we're feeling something gutturally and, and if it translates well, I mean, when I look at this image now and I'm looking at it, for those of you listening, you should go and check out Luke's website. The link is in the description of today's episode. You might want to be, I I know you're sitting at home in your underpants listening to this episode (laughs) on your phone. So you, you can scroll and listen to a podcast at the same time. So you might want to just scroll through as we sort of talk about a lot of this stuff, because you could see the image that we're talking about. And I think the thing that really stuck out to me first and foremost was the the contrast in color. It was that blue uh-huh. and yellow that like just really fucking popped off off the t-shirts. And then it felt like a a playful take on what I considered to be a metal t-shirt, which is usually a skull and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, it just felt playful to me. Um, yeah, and sure. what, you know, instantly when I saw it, Thanks, I was like, man. that's the shirt. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent. And it, it's, it's why yeah. I asked you, it's why I asked you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, no, it's cool. We went to see them at Donington, mm-hmm. um, at Download Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, they, it was cool. We, you know, they kind of looked after us. We got snake pit passes and that's cool. got to watch them from like the middle of the stage. It was cool. Hetfield was just there in front of us, just riffing away. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. Dude, um, that's cool. And, that's really cool. And yeah, and it was just like, cause my wife was with me and she was like, your shirts are everywhere. Like there's like, you know, almost like a hundred thousand people in the field and there's just every five, five people, there's a shirt with that skull on it. It's, it's <laughs> kind of surreal. Um, yes, it's, you know, I'm a massive Metallica fan, so if someone told me this like when I was 13 years old, you know, I would have been like, what? That's not a thing. That's, you know, <laughs> that's not, it's just, it's just the sort of thing you just don't think it's going to happen, you know? Well, um, and, 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 you know, I'm a, like, I assume, okay, so let's start at the beginning with you, because I assume that, like, however your roots were, did you go to, did you go to art school? Like, how did you get started with illustration? Um, well, most artists would probably say this, but yeah, as a kid, just, you know, always drawing away. Yep. Um, it was always like, it was always art and music. It was always, that was like sort of my creative outlet as a kid. So I played guitar a lot in bands. Oh, cool. Um, and did illustration, uh, on the side and did graphic design as a day job. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. This would have been like, uh, when I was started working as an illustrator, well, not sorry, working as a graphic designer first, that was a bit in like sort of late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always like early versions of Photoshop and mm-hmm. uh, Quark Express and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just sort of bought boring kind of like layout stuff for design agencies. And then the, yeah, doing the band stuff, doing um, 
and then just doing like illustration on the side as like a like for my for my own bands for friends bands it was that you know I think a lot of artists that work in this scene have very similar stories. A lot of them I find were in bands or did artwork for their band and friends' bands. Yeah. Um, sort of more like a kind of underground scene, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And then it just kind of just kept building. Like I just kept doing it as like a side hustle. And that's just kept building and building and building. Um, and then, you know, the jobs got a little bit bigger each time. And, you know, Metallica was always something I really wanted to would love to have done but it's you know i had no clue how to even get in and find out how to do this stuff like it was just i can't really remember how it came about i think it's just um <laughs> you, you do like you do gig posters for smaller bands and then i think maybe those uh, big slightly bigger bands maybe see that artwork and then it kind of comes about that way and you know i'm always, i was always at gigs and stuff so i was always just like without realizing like networking with people just by like talking about music and yeah. talking about art and you know it's just like i was very much in the scene yes yeah um, yeah yeah so and i've been like that since i was a teenager and i'm like 43 now yeah so so i managed to sort of the kind of illustration just took over gradually as i got as i got older um yeah. and then it probably wasn't like i reckon only about the last sort of i don't know like five or six years it really started to take off um was there yeah. was there an illustration that you think because I assume I, I mean you just talked about how you know you were sit you were sitting at a at, at a massive concert I mean at the concert out here it was at you know the big football fucking stadiums it was like huge huge yeah. and it was you yeah. know the your t-shirts were everywhere it was just littered straight across the place so I assume that you know one would think that either Metallica or Metallica's management or someone saw one of your t-shirts on, you know, for some other band, right? Was there, was there an illustration that you think you did that really threw everything over the top for you? Well, no, I think the, no, I think the way this came about was I did a Q and a on Instagram uh -huh. and somebody asked the question, is there, is there a band or, or whatever? Is there, what, is there something that you've like dreamed of working on? And straight away, it was just like Metallica. Oh. We'd love to work with Metallica. And then some guy who had done some work with them said, shoot me a message, let's talk about Metallica. I was like, what? What's this? And then it kind of just like went from there. He he was a fan of like other work that I'd done, yeah. like older work. I think this guy had just been like following me for a while and I didn't realize it. And, um, and that was it. And then the first job I got was... Um, and Justice for All, the 30th anniversary of And Justice for All. So cool. That yeah. was the first job. And that was like a, this is, when, when I got that job, I, I was like, this isn't real. Like I didn't, I didn't believe it was happening until it was actually out in the wild and people could see it. And it actually got posted up officially via, you know, Metallica's official channels and stuff. That's when I was like, okay, that's, wow, okay. And then it just, ever since then, it just kind of, you know, just, the work kept coming in and then like other bands would then come to me um, yeah. and then yeah. it led, led on to other work with like Xbox and all this other stuff. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Well, did you, uh, okay. So you get, you, you get the opportunity to do the uh, injustice for all thing. Were you freaking out when you did that one? Was there a lot of stress? Were you overthinking that illustration? Yeah, massively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, to be honest, every time I do a Metallica job, I think I, kind of overthink it a little bit um, yeah. which is why going back to what i was saying earlier it was nice to just it was almost 
because it was a rush doing the the M72 stuff. Mm-hmm. That was I almost feel like the art was better for it because I didn't overthink it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, all the other jobs that I've done. And the other thing as well is like there's so much cool artwork out there as well that other artists have done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, like all the classic stuff as well, like all the pushhead stuff. And it's mm-hmm. how do you how do you compete with that? You know. Well, I mean, um, you 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 compete with that by being honest with who you are and being honest with, with what it is that you love. And I think that one of the things as I'm you know staring at your artwork as we talk. There's definitely a personality that comes through, and there just seems to be a joy in the details. Like your your work is very detail oriented, which I love. Um, you know, I'm a huge I'm a huge Godzilla nerd, and the fact that you've done like these amazing Godzilla posts or, or vinyls, like the vinyl covers for like uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Oh my god, dude! Like, Thanks, uh, it's amazing, and you, I like I. When I started, I thought I was going to be a comic book artist, and I drew all the time. I still draw all my own storyboards for movies and stuff. But um, the one thing that sort of kept me back was that I was very impatient when it came to the details. I was very impatient when it came to like cross-hatching and shadowing and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But you obviously have some sort of either love or patience for it because your work is just loaded with it, man. Yeah, I think that's one of those things, I think, that kind of developed uh, – because a lot of the work is screen printed mm. uh, and so all the black line art is uh, that kind of seals everything in, if you know what I mean, because it's the last screen that goes down. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. All, the, all, all the colors sit underneath. Normally mm-hmm. like a print is a piece of artwork is like made out of like six, six or seven spot colors. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you have like your, your red, your brown, your yellow, whatever. And then on top of that, then you just get sealed in with that black line art at the end. And the black line art is, is that's the thing I always do first. And then I always just seem to go crazy with the details on it. I kind of <laughs> wish sometimes I could just like hone it in a little bit and like not go so crazy. But <laughs> I think it's because I just want that. I, I want that the the the, the finishing the screen print to feel really, um, you know, because they're quite large. The prints are quite large, so I kind of want people. When, when when the viewer is looking at it, it's they can see the detail up close. If you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. Rather than like when they just get up close, it's just like, you know, there's not much to look at. I don't know. It's kind of a, a love hate thing. I think I have with that. Well, but dude, it it's like the, the the reason why I love illustrated posters and the reason why I love whether it's concert posters or t-shirts or movie. Po- I love illustrated movie posters for the same reason. Is that what it does? Is that you, you're taking someone else's work, right? You're taking like one of my films or you're taking Metallica's music and then it's being processed through you. It's being processed through your perspective, your brain. And so what it seems to be is like, like when you look at an artist uh, like uh, coming up with something like this, it it feels like you're finding what it is that they love, what they're fixated on. And then with the level of detail that you do, it's like almost like through a fucking microscope, which is really fucking cool, man. Like it, it goes through the process of being like, hey, there's this one sequence that I love in this movie. I think of, um, oh, what the fuck was the movie? Uh, Frazetta did a movie poster for Clint Eastwood and uh, he was like, oh, um, 
stepping out of a bus. It was like a, a crashed bus, and he had a woman that was like very Frazetta pose. This woman was sort of holding onto his leg, and Clint Eastwood, it was like a downward angle, and he's like standing above. I think he's got a gun in his hand or something. Um, okay. And, and that scene's not in that fucking movie. <laughs> and you you look at this thing, yeah. and, it, and it elevates it into this sort of epic, larger-than-life uh, bigger than the film could ever be on its budget um, scale yeah, sure. and scope. And the details in that, like you said, you you lean in closer. It isn't just like, um, you know, it isn't just like a swatch of color. It's not, it's not very, it's not like an impressionistic kind of thing. You really, it's built and constructed so that it forces you to lean in close. It forces you to go to that movie poster. It forces you to be pulled with it, pulled in. And I think yeah. that kind of detail is important, especially for a still image, you know? I think as well, the other thing, because I question this, you, know, you question your process, or I don't know whether you do this, but I question the process all the time. Yes. Like, why is it, why am I doing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it? And I think, uh, I find my work can be quite, like you can, almost, I can almost look at it and I can be like, that was, I did that bit on Thursday. Oh, I did that bit on Friday and each day it changes slightly. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Like I can look at the top left of the image and be like, I went a bit crazy there with the line work. And then I can look at another, I was like, I was having a bad day that day. Maybe I just couldn't be bothered or, or whatever. I don't know. And maybe it's a little bit looser. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like I'm a fan of like a lot of the, um, I don't know whether you know, 2018 comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I worked there for 10 years. Like, uh, and a lot of the artists that worked at 2000 AD, um, unlike your sort of Marvel and your DC, which is very, uh, I find the arts, it's, it's amazing stuff, but it's like, it sort of seems quite consistent. I think. Mm -hmm. this, um, yeah. I mean, I'll say it. It seems like there are a couple of outlier artists that happen in, in, in those, in those publications. And then there are, are, you know, whether it's the editors or whoever it is that feels like it sells the books, you get a lot of other artists that come in and they have to re sort of replicate the same style. So you're looking yeah, at like, sure. like, like yeah. the Jim Lees or all these other different artists out there that. Oh, it's, ama <clears throat> it's amazing. I wish I could be that consistent like, yeah. <laughs> with the way I do stuff. <laughs> Cause it's, yeah. But what, what I was saying about 2008, it's like, take like an artist like, um, uh, like Mick McMahon, if you know Mick McMahon stuff, or uh, Simon Bisley. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you if you if you've ever read uh, Slain, Horn God, that, mm -hmm. if you look at that, because obviously it's all fully painted. Mm -hmm. You look at some of those like some pages you'll look at, and they're like super detailed, really tight. All the painting is, it's just beautifully done. It's all beautiful, but then you'll get you get like towards the end of the story and some of those later pages um they're looser or it's yeah. like he's just put his like his brown wash down over his pencils and he's just had some highlights in because he just hasn't got time that day to finish yeah to finish that page maybe yeah but it's like he, he could have gone back and overworked it and matched the earlier pages so everything's consistent throughout the whole uh throughout the whole uh, story yeah but he doesn't. He kind of leaves that page loose, and I I love that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I love I, that's what I like about that's what I like a, a lot about a lot of the 2000 AD stuff. Um, 
is that kind of artists sort of seem to have a lot of freedom I think and I think maybe the way I work because I worked there for so long I actually worked there as a graphic designer I wasn't an illustrator while I was there I worked there so I was put I was putting the graphic novels together doing doing um uh like logo designs for the characters like Judge Dredd and other stuff that's Um, rad that's rad man so it was cool but I was just surrounded by all this amazing artwork all the time so I think subconsciously that stuff sank sank into my illustration work whilst working as a graphic designer. And then when I came out the other side of it, I think that's kind of without realizing that's where some of my, if you want, if you want to call it influence or whatever, maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah. Well, I'm always I'm always fascinated by the process, especially when you're talking about comic books. And and I've had multiple comic book artists on the show, and I'm friends with like um, Ben Templesmith, and he was an interesting person to talk to about this because. You know, he originally was brought on to replicate um, an artist vibe and look. I forget the artist that he was replicating, but he was brought on to replicate that person. And then he slowly was working in his own vibe and his own style. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at his work, it's very simplistic now. And it's it's uh, like if you go back and you look at like uh, 30 Days a Night or even his like Welcome to Hoxford, all those different books he'll have like some beautifully illustrated or some very detailed oriented covers or some detail oriented panels, but then he'll have stuff that just seems like very simplistic pencil lines and a whole lot of uh, color work in post. And I talked to him about it. Sure. And I was like, I was like, man, how come some of your stuff is more detailed than other stuff? And he goes, you know how much a fucking comic book artist makes per page? He's oh, like, yeah, it's, I've it's, got friends that, that do the same. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's like, I have to be able to turn this shit out pretty quick in order, yeah, to, yeah. in order to make money on it. And you're like, oh, right, right, the commerce behind this thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but the ones that are like are clever are the ones that the artwork is stunning, but it's so simple because yeah. they, they can just churn the pages out so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of an example of that. Like someone like the artist Jock who does Batman. Yep, yep. He, it's beautiful work. But he's, he works so loosely and so quickly, I think, if you actually look at the way he does stuff. Mm. Uh, and so sort of effortlessly. It's beautiful work. Um, but, yeah, it's like it's the, 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 the line art. Is, it's, it's, there's not a lot of – there's, like, broad brushstrokes and then just refined stuff with, like, you know, kind of sharper line work, quite sim- yeah. simply. There's not a lot of hatching and, and stuff. Uh, and that's, it's kind of become his style probably just over the years. It's just naturally just comes out in that way, but it just yeah. works out that he can probably churn it out quite quickly. I'd imagine. I mean, I'm sure it takes him a while to put this stuff together, but yeah, it's <laughs> like for me, which is why I'd never do. People have said to me before, you should do comic art. I'm like, I'll do covers, but I'm not doing strip work because <laughs> it's just, it's just, it'll take me forever. And I just, I need to pay my mortgage. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, I need to put shoes on my kid's feet. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's, it's also like, you know, it's pretty intense, man. Like it, I, I, I sympathize with it because when you're making a movie, it's the same deal, right? Like, uh, I have a lot of other friends that are photographers and a lot of other friends that do work that they can turn it out pretty quickly. So you'll sit down and Uh do something and it'll take you a few weeks or, you know, a couple of days. And I'm always jealous of that shit because when you're talking about trying to get a movie off the ground, it can be seven, eight years, uh, eight years of fucking I've, been, I've, I've checked out some of your stuff, man. It's really cool. 
Thanks, like, dude. 12, I watched 12 KM. Yeah. 12 yeah. 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 12 KM. Yeah. It's really cool, man. Thanks, watch that man. today. Thanks. Man. Um, and, uh, I'm a massive kill switch engage fan. Oh, cool. Well. Yeah. Did all, I did most of their videos. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I was like, shit, he did all their videos. Like, yeah. I, I fucking love that band. <laughs> like, I've, I've seen, I've seen them so many times, like over the years, like back like, when Howard was in them as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, back in the day. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah. They're a great band. Yeah. They're like, awesome. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a metal kid. And that so like, I think at the time there was like a big, like when they were, huge yeah big band but like when they were huge yeah i guess it was like kind of end of our end of heartache era yeah it was like that era there was like a lot of like emo bands or you know around that time bands like the used (laughs) and yeah yeah. my chemical romance and all this kind of stuff going on and that record was just so metal in the middle of it all and i just used to i just loved them for it because you know i grew up on like Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Pantera. Me too. Me too, man. That was, that, that was all my, when I was a teenager, that was my soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, Faith No More, Machine Head. It's all oh that God, kind dude. of stuff. Dude, dude. I still, I still listen to that now. I'm trapped in the early 90s. I have yeah. this conversation all the time. I listen to new bands, but I always go, I always go back to like Arise by Sepultura or yeah. oh, dude, K- yeah. KSA, KSAD is like, I put that on pretty much most weeks when I'm working. Oh. It's like, it's the, those those are my records those are the t-shirts that i wore when i was a kid yeah so, i i was i i was the same way man so when i was younger and i didn't get into art school i was also working in a music store and so i i loved music i love introducing people to music and i thought that i was going to become a radio dj um uh-huh. and and i realized that 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 was a dumb career choice to go to right. so uh, i ended up falling into film and then i came it came around uh, that I ended up uh, becoming a music video director. And my old partner yeah. at the time, he was in a pretty big hardcore band. Um, okay. And so we had access, which was crazy. And so then I found myself sort of thrust in this, the world of music that I listened to when I was a kid. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, Kill Switch Engage. This is, <laughs> I think I've told the story on the show before, but I'll tell it again. I remember I was sitting around watching uh, MTV2 and Mm -hmm. I was a young, arrogant, you know, recent graduate from film school. And they had one of their videos come on. I think it was off of the the album before End of Heartache. And a video came on TV and I was like, man, this video sucks. (laughs) I was really upset about it. And I was sitting there with my, I was sitting there with my friend and he goes, well, what are you going to do about it? And I, and I go, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch them. I'm going to pitch them on a music video. And I had never done oh, music. I, I had never done music videos before. And so he goes, well, how are you going to get in touch with them? I go, I don't know. So I went on their website and because I had worked in the music stores before, I know, I knew about A&R reps. I knew about the reps that were out there promoting stuff. Okay. And so I go, well, who's the A&R rep? And so I found the A&R rep on the website. And then I went, I'm just going to call. Cause I think they were at uh, Roadrunner, And I was yeah. like, I'm just going to call Roadrunner. <laughs> so I sent an email first and I wrote an email that said like, I was watching the recent Kill Switch Engage video. It sucked. And then I went through the process of telling them like this, I would do a different music video. I would do it this way. I would do this whole bit. And so I sent that email out and then I was like, I'm just going to call. So I called, <laughs> I called the record label 
And I said to the the woman that worked at the desk, she goes, hi. And, and I think the A&R guy was uh, Gitter. I think it was Mike Gitter. And so I go, <laughs> I go, can I speak to Mike Gitter, please? And she goes, who's calling? I go, I gave her my name. And she goes, okay, hold on. <laughs> and so, and so he picks up the phone and he goes, give me a minute. I'm reading your email right now. <laughs> That's what he says. I love that. On the phone. And then he finishes reading it. And he goes, he goes, who the fuck are you? Is what he says to me on the phone. <laughs> and I said, I'm a Kill Switch Engage fan. And I think your video sucks. And I think the video that you guys made was terrible. And I could do a mu better music video than this. And he goes, what's your pitch? And so I pitched him a music video. And he goes, all right, two things. One, your music video is way too expensive. We'd never be able to afford that video. Two, you've never done a music video before. So who the fuck are you? And then I, I, I tried to plead my case. He goes, let me tell you something. This is something that I could promise you. You're never going to do a music video for Kill Switch Engage. And then he hangs up, <laughs> up the phone, right? And so I was like, holy shit. You know, I learned a quick lesson about, <laughs> about yeah, you know, sure. arrogance. But then years later, we sort of fell into the situation where Jesse was rejoining the band, right? So it was after the whole Howard debacle. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Jesse was coming back in and they, they wanted to do something new. And what was great is that Jesse had been, for those of you listening, you don't know Kill Switch Engage, Jesse was the initial singer. He was the original singer in the band. And they came to some sort of disagreement. I think it was a creative disagreement and Jesse left the band. And he mm -hmm. left the band and then uh, they hired Howard and then they became massive. Yeah. So when Howard, there was some sort of thing that happened with him. So he got essentially booted from the band and the band went out and they were, um, they were uh, doing a casting call for new lead singers and they saw like a bunch of everybody that came through. And um, Jesse was like, I, I'd like to throw my hand in the ring again. And he went out of his way to get down and just audition again. And it was a huge thing for him because Jesse's, a specific type of singer and Howard is like like this big black dude that has like the 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 craziest pipes like he has this ability to serenade and sing at these oh, high levels you amazing. know and so always, he he always kind of reminded me of like um he had kind of like a Mike Patton thing going on yeah. I think yeah. where he kind of does this kind of yeah. that's very Mike Patton it's very like angel dust era Mike yeah, Patton dude. to me yeah, dude. And so yeah. he he could get real high. And I, I talked to Jesse about this. Jesse was like, I, I, I was really insecure because I can't sing at that level. Like he had to go uh -huh. train and, and sort of pull his voice up to get to that level. And so. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, dude. I yeah. think Jesse sounds amazing. He's amazing, dude. But he, it was a, you know, come on. Like he, you're rejoining a band that you started and there was a, <laughs> you know, you got fucking Mike Patton. You know what I mean? You've got someone at that level that sings yeah. at this high, high level where the band that you initially started was kind of like a, uh, you know, like a screamo, like metalcore kind of vibe. And Jesse was big mm -hmm. into that. And so um, when we got brought in and I got to meet Jesse, him and I got along really fucking well. And when we uh, were talking about it, he was so full of excitement because he was, he had a second chance on life. He had a second chance in this band that he, uh, could really make the most out of. And I'm not saying yeah. that the the rest of the band, I think was a bit more callous about it. They had done a bunch of music videos and they were kind of like, you know, whatever. And Jesse came <sighs> in with this vigor and he was like, no, dude, it's my chance and it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be great. And so I feel like we made some of their best music videos. 
Like we did the yeah. always video and in due time yeah. and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I know the videos. I know them. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's great, man. It's really, yeah. it's really cool stuff. And that's a cool story as well. Well, the that's funny really part, cool story. To, to wrap it up, the funny part was is that years later, we got an email from Mike Gitter going, these are the best music videos that uh, Kill Switch Gage has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he knows. I don't think he ever made the connection between that arrogant kid that called him on the phone. That's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Sometimes, sometimes though, like, you, you kind of need someone to tell you, like, you can't do that thing. Yeah. Then that's like motivation to be like, no, I'm going to fucking do this thing because you <laughs> told me I couldn't do it. There's a little bit of that there, maybe. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then you start yeah. to you start to realize how small the world is and the metal scene is and how, you know, I, I think when I first started doing music videos, I had grown up obviously in the like the late eighties, early nineties, and so you hear stories of like Ozzy biting heads off of bats and fucking yeah. you know uh, Guns and Roses hammered and drunk all night or like even like you know typo negative and uh, like all this like crazy shit. As a fan, you just assume like, holy fuck, right? And then yeah. you you end up going on the tour buses of Fear Factory and shit, and you're like, okay, it's gonna be nuts when you go in there. And then you walk on the tour bus, <laughs> and it's dudes playing PlayStation. You know what I mean? And yeah, and, and you're like, oh, you guys are just a bunch of nerdy dudes. And you realize that that's the whole scene. It's just uh, a lot of really nice guys that are really nerdy and they love all the same shit. They're we all love. fans. They're all fans. Like I'm a fan. You're a fan. Yeah. I, think, like, I always think that it's that kind of like nerdy fandom thing. It kind of, there's this crossover, I think, yeah, with with creative people uh, in that scene, definitely. Yeah. If you're an artist or you're a musician or you work in film or whatever it is, they're, they're all, all the people are very like-minded, I think. <laughs> uh, the, people, the people that I've met yeah. are anyway. Yeah. Um, no, but it's, it's super cool, man. And then there's nothing... This is why I think what you do is so so fucking rad. And I've always had such an appreciation for the illustrators that do the uh, t-shirts and stuff because you're essentially designing the 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 armor or the 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 flag for the scene. And it's such a uh -huh. scene. It's such a fucking scene when you're talking about metal and hardcore um, that the t-shirts become the thing that become the memory of it all. Like the album covers and the t-shirts become it. And so it's such a cool fucking gig, dude. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's like, it's that classic case of, uh, I think all creative people want to like do things on their own terms. Yep. I think I spent years working as a graphic designer for other companies and then always thinking like, I just want to like draw cool shit for like, I don't know, for like video games and for bands and whatever it might be. Just, mm -hmm. I just want to draw cool shit and kind of come up with the imagery myself, mm -hmm. not be told by like a room full of like cooks that are like just saying like up a bit, down a bit, left a bit, Yeah, make it blue, make it red. I just, it's just like, I just want to, I want people to come to me and ask me to do a thing for me because I'm doing it. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. So, it's kind of nice to kind of be able to do that. And yeah, I guess like growing up, it's, it's weird. It's like, I would just, I don't know if you're, you're probably the same, but you just pour over like the album covers. Like for yeah. me, Chaos AD, I think by Sepultura is like probably like one of the best record sleeves ever. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't, 
yeah, like, is it Michael Whalen, isn't it? It's just absolutely stunning. And then you realise, like, oh, he did a rise. Oh, and he did Beneath the Remains as well. And he did all this other stuff as well. <laughs> um, you know, that all that stuff is, like, just, I think it's kind of in my subconscious when I'm working on stuff. And I agree um, with you completely, man. I remember... In a weird way. Yeah, I remember being in the in the music store and just like staring at all the Megadeth covers and even oh, uh, like, dude, uh, like Iron Maiden and, uh, yeah. you know, you even get into like uh, Napalm Death and you're just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like G- G- Judas Priest as well, Painkiller. I mean, that record sleeve is just like, what the fuck is this? It's amazing. Amazing, dude. Amazing. And then yeah. it, it went from like, for me, you know, obviously you know, being a comic book nerd before I got into the the music scene, like I was very hyper-focused on like, you know, these sort of gothic or or metal figures. And then it it became very graphic designy. Even that, what's the uh, Judas Priest album with the Screaming Eagle? And it's just- Oh, for Vengeance. Yeah, even that. And it's so simplistic. Oh, it's such a great color. It's it's got the yellow, as now known as the yellow background with the eagle. And it's very, like I say, it's very graphic. Yeah. Sort of side, side profile. Yeah, right. and there's so much movement to it as well. Right, yeah, and it, it felt it felt more graphic. It felt like something you'd see on the side of a car, uh, more so than it like your traditional sort of metal cover, which were like, you know, screaming skulls and shit. But uh, it worked so fucking well. And yeah. I I remember I think it was that cover. It could be I might be making this up, but it was that cover that influenced us or influenced me when I was pitching Fear Factory. And I remember okay. it was the same thing in the music video world, right? So when you're doing music videos, especially at that time period, late 90s, early 2000s, everybody saw fucking Fight Club. And so yeah. every video had to have some sort of swinging fluorescent light you know, on the ceiling. Yeah. And you know, anytime you talk to any musician, they were like, it's got to be green. It's got to be black. It's greens. You know, and, and I'm just like, Ugh. and I, I remember I was pitching uh, Burton from Fear Factory and I said mm-hmm. to him, like, I see, I see aqua blues and yellows and yellow. And he's like, yellow? And I go, yeah, yellow, dude. Aqua blues and yellows. And he's like, that's not metal. And I go, yeah, it is. It's totally metal. He's like, well, why is that metal? I go, because you're going to fucking make it metal. Like, the fact that yeah. you're gonna, it's going to be in your music video, it will make it metal. And uh, I remember we, we went back and forth for quite some time. And then we finally shot that piece. I think it was Fear Campaign. We shot that piece in... Uh, it was just so vibrant and so colorful. And then you were slow. I'm not saying that we made the the shift for the scene, but then you started to see other bands doing that. You start to see other bands sort of shifting out of the fluorescent fucking green light and, you know, fight club in a basement kind of vibe <clears throat> that was everywhere. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I don't know. I kind of, I feel like every time I work on stuff, I kind of, try and sort of like you said before about the um with the metallica shirt the, the with the yellow in there yeah it's like i always try and kind of add i think because i worked as a graphic designer for so many years there's there's, there's this sort of graphic designer element that kind of comes into it as well with colors and like layout and just like it's mm-hmm. not just an illustration there's definitely like there's clear uh like it's almost like it's gridded up in some way with margins and stuff. It's hard to explain. 
Mm-hmm. That, that's something that I do early on when you put in the piece together. So like obviously that Metallica design you're referring to, it's got that clear sort of V kind of shape to it with the logo at the top. Mm-hmm. That was very like purposeful. Certainly kind of helps um, get that sort of upward movement motion to it almost because it sort of starts small and goes big at the top, leads yeah. down to the Metallica logo at the top. Yeah, it's kind of, but it's all, all this stuff. It's like something I mean, you're doing subconsciously without thinking about it. For, right, right, right. That's the because what what we do is uh, as creators is we study that shit early on, right? And we're always yeah, ex, we're always examining that stuff, and then it just becomes you 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 try to forget it when you work, and it just becomes sort of like this subliminal behind the scenes thing. Like I've I've always yeah. been into design and graphic design and. And in layouts. And I think my favorite part of, uh, one of my favorite parts of making films is the promotions and is all that stuff. And it's building sort of this mythos with uh, with your designs and your posters and your advertisements. And I love that shit. It, it, it's, it's fucking rad. And as we're talking- before we, Sorry, Carol. No, go ahead. What were you saying? I was just going to say, like, I've had it before where I've had a band come to me and say, can you do the records? Can you do the record cover? And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll do the cover, but can I do the whole sleeve? Mm-hmm. Because I want to do all the text layout as well. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't almost like have this thing. I'm like, I don't want somebody else coming in and doing all this text layout over the top of my image. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you put a bevel, a drop shadow, and a glow on it. I don't want that on there. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? You've that fear of like, oh, shit, look at this turning. What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's someone that's trying to make their thing sort of uh, work with your thing. And it, it just yeah. makes sense to have you, because I'm staring right now at your Pearl Jam Deep Sea Diver image, which I fucking love, by the way. And Oh, thanks, man. Uh, we're talking about, you know, sort of layouts and the layout of Pearl Jam and how it works with the image. Um, it, it makes sense to have you, especially if you have the skills to do all that stuff, because then it's a cohesive piece. Like, it feels... Like it all came out of the same space and it's not like, hey, you know, I went shopping and I found this image and now we just have to put all, we, you, how do we put our information over this image? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's different yeah, mindsets. Yeah, sure. It's different yeah, mindsets. Yeah, I, I have a, I have like a difficult time letting go of that stuff. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Unless I know that it's someone that I'm like, yeah, they know what they're doing. Like they don't understand the layout. Um, or sometimes like if it's the actual band I'll just be like oh yeah we'll just sort that out I'm like yeah no I'll, I'll <laughs> just it's fine I won't charge you for it just like I'll just do that because I, I just want it I want it to be right if I'm putting my name to it I want it to be right <laughs> yeah yeah no that's yeah. true man and it, that's a that's the thing that we have to do as artists all the time and I think it's because people listen to the show and they're like, how do you get in or what are, how do you handle these things? And, and for you to be honest and say, sometimes I'll throw that in for free to just be able to make that work. Sometimes we yeah. have to, sometimes we have to do that, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you have to just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like maybe I'll do something in the, in the rough stages where I've added a little bit of typography next to the art or something, just to yeah. sort of sell it in, sell the rough into the client. Mm-hmm. And then they might go, oh, okay. Yeah. I like what you've done with typography there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just the, the graphic design thing. I can never, the majority of the work that I do now is just the illustration work, but the graphic design stuff always seeps in, in the background. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's always there. <clears throat> it's valuable, man. That's a valuable asset to have. And it's part of like the, 
the recipe that is your work, which I think is important, you know? Yeah, um, sure. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 you can see it in the work. And as I'm standing here, it's just sort of salivating over this Pearl Jam image. I want to go back and sort of address what we were talking about before. Here's a here's a classic example of how your work is elevating this band in a whole new light for me. Because growing up and listening to Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam sort of represented them and like uh, you know, Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pots, sort of the death of metal. Like at that period of time, at least in the mainstream, it went from, you know, the over the top dudes with screaming hair and, and guitars and shit to like the guy that, you know, does the plumbing in your toilet wearing, you know, the same outfit his that he played, wore. His plain shirt and his dark minds. Yeah. His, exactly. his, his, big, his big baggy like shorts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. whenever I think of Pearl Jam, I always think of that. I always think of like, you know, some sort of fucked up kid in a classroom from the music video that's about to kill himself. You know, like that vibe. And when I see mm -hmm. this image, which is, is that like an ox? It's like this big ox and a skull underneath it. Well, they, they got, the show was um, in Fort Worth, Texas, and they're famous for the, these huge, like, balls with these massive horns. Oh. So that was, that's kind of why. Because I, 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 it's funny, because, like, with Pearl Jam, I was really struggling to, I was struggling to be like, what is, what is an image for Pearl Jam? Yeah, because all I all I could think of was like, yeah, was just like these, you know, all the hair and the leaping around and the duck mines and the plaid shirt. Like yeah, yeah. visually, to me, I think it's just because my head is in that. Like I was thinking, of it like in that, I guess metal way of thinking. Maybe I don't know. Mm -hmm. So much imagery in metal, I think. Um, yeah, so that's that's why I chose the. That's why I chose the the ball. It's cool, and just, man. And, it, and it's like a, you know, and the ball represents, you know, sort of, I actually wrote it on the, I actually put it on the back. Strength and abundance, a symbol of death and destruction. That's kind of, that's, cool, that's what man. the ball means to me. And then we, we like embellished the back of those prints with, with that little uh, sketch on the back as well. If, you, oh, if, you look, cool. if you're looking at it on my site, you'll scroll down to the bottom and see the little sketch at the bottom. Oh, very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah. So when I look at this poster, and if I didn't know who Pearl Jam was, I'd be like, who's this fucking heavy band? <laughs> like, just looking at it, I'd go like, whoa, all right, these guys are fucking cool. And I love the mystique that comes from it. I'd be like, is this like a mastodon? Like, who's this? So uh, it's cool. Interesting. Man. It's, it's, yeah, it's that, I struggled with that one. I, I struggled with this one. Um, and I actually, it was one of those where I finished it and I was like, is this, thing, is this good? Are the fans going to, Pearl Jam fans going to get it? Are they going to like it? And it did good. It's, you know, I got my prints come through and they just sold out. Well, so they cool. all sold out. But then I think like you stick a Pearl Jam logo on something, people just love Pearl Jam. So, um, yeah, yeah. But I think it did. I think it, you know, one would say that it probably did better. Then if you had sketched like some screaming hair dude grabbing a microphone and just flannel shirts everywhere, <laughs> I think yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, sure. it creates a sense of mystery. And even if you are a Pearl Jam and you look at that, you're like, are they changing their sound? Because it's, you know, it is, it has metal roots, um, but it's not metal. It's it's something dangerous. And I thought that was cool. The, the, the sense of danger pulled me into that image. Which cool. Is, Thanks, man. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, dude. I, I, I think, you know, at the risk of showering you with compliments all, all afternoon, 
Um, I think that that's what really draws me to your work is that there is, you know, there's a level of danger to it, but there's a playfulness to it as well. And obviously we've been talking a lot about the metal stuff and a lot of the folks that listen to the show are movie nerds. You know, the work that you did for the Godzilla vinyls is absolutely stunning. Your Judge Dread piece is fucking phenomenal. Um, you, you know, those of you listening who haven't yet gone to the website, you should. Um, and I'm a huge fan of the Jurassic Park one that you did too. Like just the, oh, yeah. you know, just the anatomy on these creatures. Have you spent time drawing animals? Because it seems like you, you do a, a lot of animal stuff too, right? Like, were you studying animals for this sort of thing? Or like, if you're going to draw a raptor, how do you start for, for that? Well, it's interesting you should say that because the, um, because this was a light, I'm just looking at it now, actually, just to remind myself. Yeah, because that obviously had went through approvals with Amblin and Universal. Mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> to get those raptors right, it took a while because <laughs> they just, the teeth aren't right, the claws aren't big enough. And, you know, it was just, it kind of kept going back and forth, like with them just sketching all over it and stuff. Oh. This is obviously all in the rough stage. But that this, 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 this particular piece of art uh, took a while to get done. Just, just to get, just to get, uh, yeah, just to get the raptors right. They were very protective over the how the dinosaurs look. Oh, interesting. Which, which, which I get. You know, it's their, it's their IP. It's, it's they. You know, it's got to be right. I actually originally drew the raptors a little bit different, uh, and they actually looked a little bit more. Uh, I'd say a bit more menacing. Mm. Mm. Uh, and they, yeah, they told me to. Uh, hone it in a little bit. <laughs> so that's I think I, I think I, I think I did it. I think I originally I drew them like a little bit, maybe a little bit too metal looking, maybe. <laughs> and um, yeah, so and it, you know it's fine. Like it, it is what it is. It, that was a, an interesting one to work on. Jurassic Park. I mean, you know, sure, it's, uh, sure. It's kind of a dream, dream gig to to do. So sure um, sure but the, but then yeah like they, didn't, a, they didn't care about like the little uh, what's the kid's name in the film is it tim yeah i think about tim they didn't care what tim looked like it was all about like the dinosaurs yeah we don't care about that guy like <laughs> yeah <laughs> well so they, which i thought was really funny i thought it was really funny they just didn't care about the actor they just cared more about the uh they know what the draw they know what the draw is man they know what the deal <laughs> yeah. is <laughs> yeah uh yeah well you know there's a skill that comes with being able to be an artist that is taking notes and is uh you know you know doing revisions for clients i mean that's they're like how do you because i i know that uh when i was younger i would take notes and it, oftentimes it would be an ego blow and often, you know, when you're when you're very young as a, as an artist, you're sort of <laughs> fighting that uh, imposter syndrome, which is, is fucking rampant. And you know, getting feedback or getting notes or someone not liking your initial idea is definitely an ego blow. Um, mm -hmm. How do you process that stuff? Um, I'm not too bad with it. I worked in. Um I spent a, lot, a few years working in video games as well, which I haven't mentioned, but mm -hmm. that is like, a, you know, that's designed by committee, working mm -hmm. in games, and which I just got burnt out on the, I, I, I still enjoy working with video game companies, 
creating like one-off images for like marketing material and stuff like that. But actual being on game dev, in game dev, is uh, is quite, yeah, that's, uh, as far like you say, imposter syndrome, that is mm-hmm. definitely, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I didn't have the best time. So with, with that, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Whereas now it's not too bad because it seems like most things that I pitch in the rough stage seems to get approved. Do you think um, do you think that's because you now have a track record and a reputation? Like they're like, hey, this is the dude that does Metallica's fucking shit. You know what I mean? Do you maybe, think it maybe? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it still it still happens. And to be honest, like I question myself like all the time. Like I've got uh, the stuff that goes out and I'm like, I'm not. I don't even know if this is you know, I I I'm almost like trying to outdo the last thing I did every time I do something. Yeah. So I'm kind of my worst enemy. It's like, is this as good? Is this better than the last thing I did? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I do it to myself. I kind of almost like don't need someone to tell me. I, I do it to myself. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, th- it's very rare that I'm like a hundred percent happy with anything that I put out, to be honest. That sounds really bad. They're like, I'm always like, it's like the whole, it's the classic, when is a thing done? You know, when is yeah. it done? Yeah. It's not, very, it's not done, is it? It's like, you know. Never. You I give up. At, I, can look at, I can look back at old Metallica stuff and just be like, yeah, I do that completely differently now. Yeah. 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 But you, it took me a while to get, my, my mantra is like, you know, once I hit a point with anything, whether it's a film or if it's a podcast episode, um, you know, I just go, I'm going to give myself a certain amount of time and then in that amount of time, I'm going to do the best I, f- I possibly can do. And then I call it. And there yeah, have sure. been times where people will go back and watch my older stuff and someone will say, hey, you know, you know, would you consider, you know, retouching this or going back into that? And I go, no, it's fucking done. Like, it's done. I, I'm, yeah. I'm finished with it. I don't want to, I don't want to go back down that path because, you know, we torture ourselves uh, for whatever time that we give ourselves to do it, right? Like there's a hundred mm-hmm. different ways to do this. If I shave five frames off of this cut, then this will be like this. Or if I watch it for the first time six months later, fuck, I see it in a whole different way and I would have done this differently. Um, yeah, but sure. you you just have to, for your own sanity, be like, it's done, it's finished, it's great. There are good things in it. There, It may not be the most perfect thing I've ever done, which mm-hmm. I hope I never get to because then I should quit. Um, but you know, it's done, it's finished. And and I learned so many great te- tricks and techniques from it. And then when you have enough distance on stuff, like I'll go back and I'll watch, you know, early music videos and shit that we've done. When you have that much time, like 10 years, 15 years, you start to celebrate all the errors and the mistakes and stuff that are in it because it's uh, almost like a timestamp for you as an artist at that time period anyways. And then you start to recognize sort of the, the youthful vibrance that comes from experimenting that way and like oh accident look what we came up with accidentally that's so fucking amazing instead of being in sort of the rigid you know experience sort of mindset that i'm currently in (laughs) so so, yeah man yeah yeah i kind of like most work that i do now is obviously just it's all like client work now so i don't really have time to um sort of do my own stuff i guess yeah yeah, because uh, I'm always just like when I'm working on something, it's normally for a client, um, and I think because you're always like you've always got a deadline to you know <clears throat> a deadline to work to. 
Yeah. It's like that in a way kind of just makes you, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's like your, it's, it's, it's gotta be done because it's, that's it and walk away yeah. from it, which I'm yeah. definitely better at now. Um, and for the most part, you know, I say like, I'm really happy with anything that I do. I am happy with stuff that I do, you know, the, like, it's just like, maybe when I look back, like a few years later, I'll be like, yeah. oh man, I do, I do that differently now. Um, right, you know, right, 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 um, right. But then that's just, that's, I guess that's what being creative is, you know, you, you <laughs> kind of evolve and you change and, you know, what you were doing five years ago is different to what you're doing in like now, you know. Hundred percent, and we're always like, so my color. My color palettes change all the time. Like at the moment, I'm just like into the color red for some nice. reason. It's just like nice. it's going into everything. I'm like, why am I just using red? It's like I'm in my red phase, and then like <laughs> in like I don't know another year, I'm going to be you know oh purple's the color that I like using. I don't know. It's <laughs> weird. I think you just get into this little cycle. Of, it, yeah, it's it, well the obsession. One would even say obsession, which is cool. Yeah, like like yeah. That's kind of what you want, though, man. You know, like, you kind of want that from your artists when you see, you know, just they'll, they'll, it requires a certain level of obsession to get that kind of detail and to get that vision and that, to get that perspective on something. And, and as we, I complain about this all the time on the show, but as we push into a period of time where, you know, with algorithms and everything else, and we're not really getting a personal perspective. Um, I think having, yeah. having that perspective, having a curated thing, having, um, an upset, like someone that is obsessed with a specific way of telling a story is refreshing because it's floating to the top of this, you know, algorithm foam of content that exists everywhere right now. And, um, I, I, th I mean, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Cause it's, I think it's important to celebrate, um, that kind of obsession when you see it, you know? Oh, thanks man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a strange, it's, uh, you know, it's like, I was thinking about this the other day, like everything just sort of seems to revolve around the algorithm, doesn't it? Like some people mm -hmm. just get like really obsessed with it. I try and ignore it now. I just ignore mm -hmm. it all. It's like, um, yeah. It's like Instagram used to be, a really great way of discovering new stuff and it still is but it's like and then the stuff that you follow you don't see anymore it's weird it drives weird. me, cra it drives me so crazy the stuff i want to see i can't see it drives like, me crazy and then it, it's like just keeps showing me all this shit that i don't want to look at dude it drives me fucking nuts man like i it i is. have this year what are we almost one hundred fifty thousand followers and these are people that genuinely follow because they uh -huh. want to see stuff, they like the stuff. That's how. That's why I follow someone. That that a person does uh, four or five posts, and I'm like, I, I'm fascinating. I like how this thing's curated. I'd like to see more from this person. I'm going to follow mm -hmm. this person, and then I'll do posts, and I'll do posts that are the same kind of posts that I've done before. And Instagram will decide, eh, we'll show this to about two thousand people. <laughs> yes, and and then it's in that two thousand people, if enough of them say they like it, then we'll show it to another three thousand people, and then you, yeah, and you're like, what the fuck, dude? That's that's like point zero 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 three percent of the yeah, amount of people that follow me. It's because they want you to pay. It's because they want you to pay to advertise your stuff. That's the other thing as well that they don't notice. Which it's like 
it's like, oh, you can like share this as a sponsored ad if you want. You yeah, know, it's no, like, no, dude. I don't yeah. want to. I just want to post it in my feed and everyone who follows me sees it. Oh, well, we'll share it to them if you just pay us a bit of extra money. Dude, and I've I've paid because I've there's a, been a piece of me that's like, well, all right, let's see if I play the game. Let me go through the process of paying this stuff. I get worse. <laughs> it doesn't do any better. And you're just like, fuck off, man. Like now I've given you cash and it's still not doing any. Okay. All right. And so then you, I, you, you, at that point you understand that, that Instagram's about negativity mm-hmm. and then negativity gets all the attention and posts on it. And that's why, if you look at my Instagram, I'll post a lot of my negative reviews. I'll post all that sort of stuff. I think they're fun, okay. but right. also dude fucking goes through the roof. And so the next thing you know, people are coming back in it. And then my followers are like, why do you post negative stuff all the time? I go, oh, that was one post out of 15 posts this week. You didn't see the other 14 posts. You just saw the negative one. Oh, okay. No way. Yeah. That's dude. crazy. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to like think about it too much. I think um, maybe like when I, if, like earlier on, like if you're an artist that's just starting out, it must be an absolute fucking nightmare because how you do you get your work seen? I don't know. Yeah. And without, unless you're like actually like submitting portfolios or whatever to people you want to work with, like yeah, dude. that's it, it. Was such a great tool before because you could just post something up and everyone would see stuff and your audience would grow. Whereas that just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a bizarre world. All right, time to take a hot second. We got to do some ad reads for the show. I'm going to say thanks to the people that support this show. And it's been a great year for support and love with the process. If it wasn't for our friends over at Puget Systems supporting us and sponsoring the Film Quest series, and man, the situation, like the places that we found ourselves in because of Puget uh, Systems support, man, like the house and all the people and all the filmmakers that I met because of them. Thank you so much, Puget Systems. It's been a great year. For those of you listening to the show, please drop a note or comment under any of my posts and say, hey, thank you, Puget Systems, for making In Love With The Process what it is, for helping Mike out with his projects and his work, um, because they truly, truly have been an amazing support system for me as an artist and this show in general. And if you're someone that is an illustrator, if you're someone that is getting into video editing, if you're someone that needs a new computer, go buy yourself a PC. It's going to change your world. It's going to change your world, man. You can customize PCs. Uh, the marketplace is completely competitive. I mean, I was just on the the Mac site recently, and we were talking about what we needed for a baseline system for a Mac computer. And it just, they give you three or four options and you're sort of going through it and the price tag at the end of that. Oh my fucking God. I don't think you'll ever pay that goddamn machine off before you have to throw it out, right? Before they render it useless with another software upgrade. Thing about PCs I love is that they're all customizable. If something needs to be upgraded, you could swap out a graphics card. If something needs to be changed, you could swap out something else. My PCs, I'm usually on them for 10 plus years when I'm using them, okay? And I know building your own PC is a daunting task. Do yourself a favor, go to PugetSystems.com, family-run company on the West Coast. They build amazing PCs. They have the best customer support in the industry, period. 
period. Fuck Apple Care. These guys, this are real individuals that respond to you. These are real people that are putting these computers together. These are real people that are dealing with problems on a daily basis. And they're the best dudes to go out and have beers with. PugetSystems.com. Go there now. Choose a computer based upon the software you're going to use. And if you're someone that is working in an edit company or post-production facility or someone that is doing... Um, uh, volume space stuff like virtual walls or unreal stuff they have built the pcs that do all that hard work so the future of filmmaking is with a lot of that and if you need one of those computers or if you're gonna get into that world just reach out to puget systems tell them that mike sent you and they'll take care of you okay uh, also supporting the show our friends over at fujifilm epic year with fujifilm i met so many great filmmakers through them the uh, Fujifilm Creative Series has been fantastic. I still have a few episodes to release before the end of the year, so there are more on the way. Um, and I am so excited about the GFX 102. Uh, I just sent an email or a message over to Victor. Victor, if you're listening, we want to get our hands on two of those cameras for this new project that we're going to do. Um, I really am pumped about the cloud stuff that comes on those cameras because we're, we're in the process of putting together a project that we have to turn around pretty quick and uh, having that cloud feature so that I can be dumping that stuff up immediately into the edit is super huge. Uh, but not to mention the fact that it comes with all of Fujifilm's amazing color stuff. Uh, their uh, autofocus stuff for their lenses is like epic. Um, and it's their new GFX 102 is a large format camera that competes with some of the bigger boy cameras out there at a great price point. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an easy integration for us because we already have all the Fujifilm stuff. So I love Fujifilm. Um, go check them out. The links are in the description of today's episode. There are traceable links so that they know we sent you. And there's also a refurbished link down there. So if you're looking to buy a Christmas present, late Christmas present, maybe a lens is on sale refurbished. You know what I mean? Check the link now. See what's up there. I haven't checked today. Um, Fujifilm, thank you guys for supporting the show. Also supporting us are friends over at Blackmagic, Blackmagic Design. Blackmagic uh, are the creators and the makers of uh, DaVinci Resolve, the program that I've been using for years to color grade all my films and that so many editors are now using as their main edit platform. Resolve comes with all sorts of insane new features, whether it's AI features that help you organize clips and sort through clips, uh, whether you're dealing with the compositing that they have, the compositing is epic on that thing. Um, and most importantly, the color grading is phenomenal. So Resolve, we color graded 12 cam and Resolve. <coughs> Excuse me, we color graded, my voice is dry. We color graded who's there, and we also color graded Come Home and Resolve. And I uh, color graded most of Gina's music videos in Resolve. Um, so... Blackmagic and Blackmagic cameras, fantastic. When we shot uh, Come Home, I used Fujifilm, I used Airy, and I used Blackmagic. And we just got our hands on their 6K large format camera as well. So super excited about that. Now, if you notice, I've got multiple sponsors on the show. And one would even say competitive sponsors on the show. But here's the deal. I don't believe that one brand does everything. I believe that there's a tool for every project. And I believe some people do better things than other people. And if I'm going to 
reach out to these companies and look for their work, or I'm sorry, look for their tools, it's for a specific reason. And each and every one of these sponsors that we have on this show, I've used their stuff, I continue to use their stuff, and I have no problem having them be sponsors on at the same time. Because honestly, reach out to me, ask me, what did you use the Black Magic cameras for? I'll tell you right now, man, Income Home, I just talked uh, about this in an interview. I shot that camera primarily, or I'm sorry, I shot that movie primarily on an Airy LF, like the large format camera. Um, but the, the best, <laughs> and I shot that with Atlas, Atlas Anamorphics. But the best shot in that movie, the best shot in that film, was a pickup shot that I did with Lance. And we shot that with uh, the Black Magic. And I had a Sigma lens on there, believe it or not. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the best shot in the whole movie. So when people are like, uh, you know, what did you shoot this with? Did you, oh, those are amazing anamorphics and all that stuff. I go, yeah, we have really beautiful stuff, but the most emotionally charged piece that I shot was shot with the Black Magic. And it was because it was so small and was so intimate and I was able to get in there really close and find my performance. So it was the right tool for that moment. See what I'm saying here? So uh, definitely check out Black Magic. Links are in the description of today's episode for everything. Or if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, all the links are in today's episode page as well as in our sponsors page. Um, and if you want to support this show and continue to support this show, uh, my sponsors are always going, how many people are listening? Who's listening to it? The best way to show that off is by you clicking the links. It's the simplest thing to do. Even if you don't fucking buy anything, you just click the links and it tells them that you're listening to the show, right? Fuck yeah. Uh, let's see. We got them. We got them. Oh, our friends over at Boca Rentals. I was talking about uh, the cameras that I was shooting come home on. I got all of that stuff from Boca. Boca Rentals is the place that I went uh, to get the camera, to get all the shit that I needed. And uh, man, I love them as a company. I love uh, rental houses that support filmmakers. And I just went out and had a holiday dinner um, with the owner, one of the owners of Boca. And uh, he was telling me that, uh, Kyle, he was telling me that they're building a new place. There's going to be a new facility. I, I think I'm allowed to talk about this on the air. I'll talk about it. I think they're building a new facility here on the east side of Los Angeles. So the prior facility was a bit further away if you lived in the Burbank area or the Silver Lake area. But they're putting together some new place, really fucking awesome looking place. I saw like the layout of Fort. Um, that's going to be on our side, on the east side. So I think it's going to be like five, 10 minutes for me, which is awesome. Okay. So Boca Rentals is the place to go if you're looking for any of those new lenses, any of those sexy pieces of glass that shoot through your favorite shows on Netflix. All that stuff is through Boca. They have some of the best camera support systems out there and available camera support team that is available to help you out. And they are hyper-focused on meeting new filmmakers and new cinematographers. So if you're looking for a rental company in Los Angeles, Boca Rentals is the place to go, okay? Um, so covered all the bases, I think, with all that stuff. And a big shout out to all of our sponsors, some of them who are no longer with us, but all of our sponsors that have supported us over the years, this show would be nothing without you. Thank you so much for making it happen. Um, all right, man. Let's get back to the interview.
with the internet in general, right? You feel like quietly the Wild West was developed by corporations. And and I I don't think anybody really thought about it. As it sort of transitioned from being like personal websites and blogs and even like spinning skull deathhead gif websites, like all that yeah. sort of stuff that started and then as these as these corporations sort of rolled through and they started to make apps and they started to make websites more like slot machines and the addictive mm -hmm. nature of these slot machines and the, that whole thing it just it went from being a place that you you know go to the wild west and you set up a little shop out in the middle of the desert and it's uh people will come through if they want to buy fucking you know you know gold digging material you know what i'm saying and and mm -hmm. now you can't even set up a fucking shop you try to set up a shop you're paying rent to the big corporations to do that now and then the corporations are like we're not going to show the public your uh shop at all unless for some reason they want to see it and you're like well how the fuck do they want to see it if i can't show it to them like mm -hmm. so, you're stuck in this like I don't know. This is me ranting. You're you're stuck in this catch twenty two of all oh, this bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I definitely have a love hate relationship with it. I I love it for the fact that I can share my work and be like, hey, I did this thing. I'm really proud of it. Blah, blah, blah. But then I hate it for the fact that it just gets buried or no one sees the stuff you're doing. It's just or something that you think is going to do really well just doesn't just doesn't do well at all. It's just bizarre yeah you spend like six months working on a project and then it's just like it's just like a wet fart when it goes out into the into the it's just, yeah into the ethos it goes out into the world yeah but you know what's interesting positively on this is that you know we both have had this happen with our careers the uh, the ability for a scene like the metal scene and for a scene with, uh, you know, face-to-face -face contact and you going to shows and you meeting these folks and you being in those spaces and the same thing with us where we would do things and, and go and hang out. And next thing you know, we're hanging out with ministry because we're friends with this person and we're friends with that person. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what really pulls it together. And, and what I found fascinating about both the hardcore scene and the metal scene, like I can wa I'll walk into a fucking a grocery store in Europe wearing a Meshuggah shirt. And yeah. th that guy will go, I love Meshuggah. Bleed's a great fucking song. And I'll go, you know, I directed the Bleed video. They'll lose their fucking shit. Like, and that th there are times where me and my old business partner would walk into bars and very similar to Fight Club, the bartender would slide a beer down. And you wouldn't, you look at him and he'd sort of give you this nod and it's like, oh, he's a metal fan. And so yeah, yeah. that scene is so strong. And like having scenes are very strong because these people then grow up and now the guy that runs, he's in charge of the art department at a, at a, uh, at a video game company is an old metal dude or he's working yeah. in advertising. That's happened to me. That's happened to me. Yeah. That, I, yeah. That was how I, I worked, I did some work with Xbox on Gears of War mm -hmm. and, and that came about because the, um, couple of the folks there were like huge Metallica fans. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And that, and they just like went to a Metallica concert, same as you got a shirt and they're like, and they're like, Hey, do you want to work on Gears of War? Yeah. I was like, uh, yes, I'd love to work on Gears of War. <laughs> and, and that was like a few years back. Um, and then since then, you know, we still work together on stuff. So it's just like, and that was because and metal did that for me. Yeah. 
Hundred percent, which is cr- which is crazy. Hundred percent about yeah, dude. You just don't know where these things are going to lead. Yeah, I mean, and and I think putting this out there to artists, as you heard me bitch about, and the both of us complain about Instagram for a hot second. Instagram has always sort of promised that it's going to be the easy thing, right? You make shit, mm-hmm. you post it on Instagram, people will come. And that's it. That's mm-hmm. all I have to do. And I'm sort of in my own house. I'm in my own space. I'm really not out there engaging with people in real life. The faster hack is actually to engage with people in real life. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. For, for me, it's been like a lot of, not who you know, because that sounds really bad. That's like, oh, I only got to where I got to because I just know people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can do do the thing that you're, that you're passionate about, uh, but then you can also not be a dick <laughs> and actually like, and actually just, and just talk to people that are into this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. That goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Not just staring at your phone, doom scrolling and like commenting on things, you know, do that, but also do the thing where you go to these, you know, whatever scene it is that you're into. If you're into film, go to, mm-hmm. you know, go to events go to conventions, go to, go to things, speak to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but then I think that's like, because I don't know how old you are. You're probably a similar age to me. 40, like, yeah, 45. Yeah, I'm 43. So it's like, you know, for me, it was like, you, we kind of watched the internet happen. Mm-hmm. So we kind of knew what it was to have a conversation in a room with a lot of people, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, 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 how to get, and how to get a job. Like, because you just, you know, you can, I mean, a lot of the early jobs that I did is when I was younger, it was just me sort of talking my way into the jobs, mm-hmm. like in a bar or doing like shitty factory work or whatever it was that I did back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was all just through just that old way of getting stuff done just through interacting with people um, in a real situation. Yeah. It's no different to what I do now. I still... I do all the stuff online, but I'm always chatting with people and making friends. And, you know, and the other thing is like, I genuinely want to like speak to people that are into the things that I'm into as well. And if we can work together, then that's a bonus. Yeah, dude. You know, 100%. I agree with you 100%, man. Like, this is something that me and my buddy Lance talk about all the time. And we're, we're, you, you always hear this, this saying where it's like, I was in the right place at the right time. And that's how I got this gig. And, and the right place, right time thing feels like a myth. It feels like a mythos, right? It feels like something that someone mm-hmm. says after they get the gig and you go, is this really true? Is this something that actually happens? And what we try to do all the time is like, what have I done this week to make sure I put myself in the right place? Because mm-hmm. who knows if it's going to be the right time? Am I going to be in the right spot for this sort of thing? And then, you know, we have this whole other theory on having lightning rods in your, in your pocket. So when you are in a spot where there is a lightning storm happening, you have these different things that you can talk about. You have these different things that will bring attention to you. But you really want to find yourself in as many right places as possible. And the, the only way to do that is just to be imaginative about how you're putting your work out there, how you're putting your shit out there. For, mm-hmm. for, uh, for instance, um, I had a, a fan, a friend of mine post or make me a bunch of stickers for the show. So I had a bunch of like, I think they were, yeah, like the screaming skull microphone graphic that we had. And he's like, here's just a bunch of stickers, have fun with them. And so I do a lot of 
touring around the country. I do a lot of like place to place and a lot of bar safaris and I go to a lot of different bars and I, w- I would always have yeah. these stickers in my, in my pocket. And this is the metal thing again, right? So you're standing at a fucking urinal in some like shithole bar and there are all these stickers on the wall. And I just grab out one of my stickers and slap it up on the wall. And that was what yeah. I would do. And, and now if you guys that are listening, there are certain areas in New York city and in uh, Los Angeles and even in Boston, all these different spots that if you go to my favorite bars, you'll see the stickers on the wall. Um, I got a message two weeks ago from uh, Richie Beckett, the illustrator, Richie Beckett yeah. messaged me and he, he yeah. just sent me a, <laughs> he sent me a photo of the sticker on a urinal and he's like, dude. <laughs> and it turns out he was like, <laughs> right down the street from me. And I said, oh, I drink there all the fucking time. And then the two of us got together and had an epic night. I had beers and did this whole bit. And that was as successful, if not more successful, that was more successful than if I posted that same graphic on Instagram. (laughs) Like actually putting it on a toilet (laughs) did more for me than posting that graphic on Instagram does. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I saw Richie. Um, I don't know Richie. Um, I, we've spoken a few times online because he does really great work. Yeah. Um, but we were at a con uh, convention was about a month or so ago. And I think I saw him and he thinks he saw me. And it was like, I think I saw you. Well, I should have probably should have said hello. And it was more like, you know. But we didn't. We didn't talk, unfortunately. He's, but yeah, he's uh, he's he always seems like a really good guy, and his work is just stunning. He's amazing, dude. Yeah, he's a great dude. Like we, I mean, if you ever come to Los Angeles, we're all in town. We should all go get beers because he, him, and I get. We went to uh, this really great German place that's out here that we love, and uh, sat down, and I think over four or five beers and a meal, him and I talked about. We got so fucking nerdy on movies so deep into movie stuff and it was almost like being because i've known him for a few years he was on the show a few years ago and him and i were going to work on something together but we never met face to face and uh okay and then sitting across from each other it was like being on first date for the first time where we wouldn't shut up (laughs) we closed out the place and it was it was a fucking blast i think you get you get that sometimes like because you interact with people a lot online and then or you know nature of my work you know I'm just sat on my own all day, yeah. like, yeah. you know, drawing away all day. And then it's like, when you actually have a face-to-face with someone, it's like, oh, my God. Like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I've been seeing you for years. Oh, fucking hell. People exist. Shit. Yeah, I've dude. been going insane, like, drawing skulls for the last year. <laughs> like, yeah. It's uh, it's cool when you when you actually meet up with people. Yeah, I love going to conventions and stuff. I've done, like, I've done San Diego Comic-Con a couple of times, and I've done new york comic con a couple of times as well mm-hmm. so i'm planning on coming back to i want to come back to california because we've got friends that live in san diego mm-hmm. um so my, my wife's best friend like she lives in carlsbad so like we sometimes just like well every few years we like if we can we like to like go over and visit and while i'm there i try and meet up with as many people as i can yeah i'm doing this um, i love meeting people in real life i for uh, for a little while, back when uh, DVDs were still a thing, because now they're not, but uh, back, yeah, back yeah. when you used to be able to do that, I used to do cons and uh, get tables, and I would sell my old like grindhouse trash that I had, which was fun to sell. And I was at yeah. I was at some Comic-Con. I don't know if it was Boston or... I forget where it was. 
Um, and I remember I was in the, <laughs> I was in the bar at the hotel. So there was a hotel that was there and I was sitting down at this bar by myself and this guy walks in. And one of the cool things about meeting artists is that you kind of can recognize them in real life because a, a lot of artists yeah. are drawing themselves in one way or another. They're always using themselves as some sort of reference. And so I'm sitting at this bar and this guy comes in and he's got like two ladies with him. And he just walks in and I look at him and I go, I know this motherfucker. How do I know this guy? And he, he sits down next to me at this bar and they're having a blast, right? And I'm, I'm censoring this, but they're having a blast. And it's like <laughs> lots of booze. And, uh, you know, I, I'm from Boston initially, so I don't keep my mouth shut. So if we're in a situation and we're causing trouble, I'll chime in and say stuff. And so... We're going back and forth, and this guy looks at me, and he's like, you want to have some drinks? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I go over, and I hang out with this dude, and it was Simon Beasley. <laughs> so it was Beasley. No way. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I joked with him because he's like this big, burly dude. And I go, yeah. yeah, I said, you're just as ugly as all the illustrations you draw. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you love that. Yeah, he did. And we... We uh, we fucking had a crazy time at that bar drinking and uh, causing a lot of trouble. And I remember he was with these two ladies who, I don't know if they were starstruck by him or whatnot, but they got irritated because him and I, <laughs> him and I just had this deep connection and we kept talking and talking and kind of ignoring him the whole time. <laughs> and uh, we had uh, too much to drink. And then the next day we were at the con and I told him I'd give him one of my DVDs. So he was signing. He was touring with Eastman at the same time. So it was Beasley and Eastman. And okay. We're doing the booth thing. Tell stuff. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went and saw him the next day. He's like, how much did we drink last night? <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. And, and I would never have met that dude if I hadn't, you know, got my ass out and just said, I'm going to get out of the bar and hang out on my own. And I think a lot of people are afraid of that. They're afraid of going out there by themselves and they're afraid of being out there. And, and it, if you're an artist and you've done work or if you're confident in your work, or if you, even if you're not confident in your work, if your work is out there, then someone's seen it. And that's always something that you can talk about. That's always something that uh, is a connection for, for strangers. And, and you never know who the fuck yeah, you're going to meet. It is a bizarre, it is, it is weird when you get people coming up to you and, you know, just, saying, hey, you know, it's just weird because you're like, they obviously recognize you from <laughs> your work or online and stuff. But do you still find that, yeah, weird? <laughs> but I think, it, I think it's just because, I think it's just because you're on your own all day working. Yeah. And it's quite, yeah, it's like you, there's not a lot of like human connection apart from emails and stuff. So, yeah, um, it's uh I think, yeah, a lot of creative people that I've met sort of not struggle with it, but they can find they find it weird. I think sometimes. I get it. I get it. I mean, it's a it's a solitary lifestyle, being at someone that's yeah. illustrating, and then you know, there's so much detail and so much time. Any any illustrator pal that I have, they're always swamped. They're just overloaded with deadlines. They're overloaded with work. And oh yeah, I'm trying to like wrap stuff up now, like because I want to break up for Christmas break and stuff. Yeah. Um, so like this, it's actually like this interview. You timed it really well because it's like it's the end of the year. 
I'm like wrapping everything up and it's nice to just sit and have a chat about, <laughs> you know, just, it's just nice. It's like a nice way of rounding the year off actually having this conversation. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy uh, to have you, man. I'm happy you said yes. Um, Cause you know, I, I figured we'd get along and you know, like looking at your stuff, I was like, this guy's the same kind of nerd that I am. And you know, quite obviously not just with metal, but also with movies in like a specific yeah, time period. I'm, I'm, I'm in, we haven't spoken about movies, but yeah, I'm, I, I do, uh, you know, I do like watching a good movie. Sort of probably, probably grew up watching similar stuff. I would imagine. What are your, you uh, know, I'm like, uh, it's, uh, it's all like uh, Robocop, yep. Terminator, yep. Yep. all that kind of shit. Yep. That's me. That's like, you know, uh, it's funny, like when me and my wife first got together, when we first started dating, like the first film we watched together was Terminator 1. Was like, <laughs> she's like, I've never, I've never seen Terminator. It's like, right, we're watching Terminator. Let's cuddle, let's cuddle on the sofa and watch Terminator. <laughs> Yeah, I think if I tried to show my girl, uh, well, I think she's, I think she's seen Terminator, but she, she kind of rolls her eyes. <laughs> she's just yeah, like, she, she did exactly the same. She wasn't overly impressed. Yeah, she's but, just like, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just that it's just like the perfect film. Everything about it's perfect. I love, I, I love that movie. And then if you, I was watching James Cameron's Masterclass, and he was sort of walking through that film, and how he did different sequences in it, and how. Because he storyboarded everything in that, and and how yeah 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 how he did like all these different camera tricks, and I just finished a movie which I'll have to send you. It's not one of the ones that I were in the initial link, but I just finished this new one, and um, we did. Uh, there are like these chains that sort of fly across the room and wrap around this guy, and um, okay. we used all the techniques because I saw this one clip online for how James Cameron got the face hugger in aliens to sort of crawl across the, like when Ripley and uh, Newt are in the, the sort of medical bed. Yes. Yes. The combination of that. And so yeah, I, I've watched, I've watched those documentaries. Yeah. And isn't, um, isn't it Hellraiser as well with the chains in Hellraiser? Yeah. Well? Yep. 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 The, Jesus, the Jesus wept. Bit. Yep. So yeah, a lot yeah. of that stuff. It was, yeah. So this, that's all my kind of, that's all the stuff that I grew up watching. Like probably watching stuff I probably shouldn't have watched when I was like nine years old. Like, hey, let's watch Jaws. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. Let's watch Aliens and then like have nightmares for like two weeks. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, actually, I've, actually, I've actually got a face hugger in my studio it's hanging over my monitor. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, Aliens. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was scared to, sh I, I was scared as hell seeing Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. And, and then I talk about this on the show all the time. There's this movie called Dreamscape. That was where yeah. you go into people's nightmares, and there was that whole dream sequence where the fucking dude rips that guy's like heart out of his chest. I think it was a kid, kid when I saw that. Um, oh man! Oh, it fucked me up. And then uh, when, it's all like practical effects as well, isn't it? Yeah, it makes it sort of weirdly more real. I love him. I love because it's sort of because it's sort of puppetry and stuff. It makes it something freaky about that just to look at. Yeah, like I remember seeing. Um, is it uh, Brain Dead? Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson. Like, <laughs> I kick ass for the Lord. Yes, that movie. And this, is, it, is, it brain, is it Brain Dead or Bad Taste? I always get the two confused. It's just, just, there's the scene like in the basement with the guys like puking in the, in the bowl. <laughs> yeah. and I think Peter Jackson like 
I think he played one of the characters, didn't he, in the film? I think so. And, he's, and, I, and then he made like a puppet of his head and he's just vomiting all this green shit into his bowl. I was just like, fucking hell. I was like 12 years old. I said, watch this with my mate. This is so cool, but also really disturbing. Well, you know what I love? Because I'm a practical effects dude. That's what I love to do. And I, 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 yeah. I, I love it for two reasons. One, it's something that's tangible and I can puppeteer it in one way or another. Or I can actually find the mistakes because I think uh-huh. if you, you know, if you've seen gore in real life, if you've seen accidents in real life, they're not choreographed. They're not, they're, they're, they're honestly not even epic in any way. Most of the time when you see yeah. something, it's, it's the smallest, stupidest fucking thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that practical effects sort of limit you from making it into something you know, more manufactured. I think that when you're, when you see something practical and when the audience sees something practical on screen and they physically see gravity doing its job and they see light sort of passing through the glass, they see all that shit. They go like, mm-hmm. ugh, ugh. Like I just, I just posted uh, the scanner's head exploding and everybody's yeah. all over it right now. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a cheesy effect, but it's so fucking good, man. It's so fucking good. Yeah. No, as Alien is like, I guess would be the you know the whole chestburster scene. And, oh my god! Yeah. You know, oh my god! It's like, it's it's just so horrific. You know, it's fake, but I remember, again, I remember watching that as a kid and just being like, "Holy shit, that's just fucking terrifying." Uh, I think you posted a thing the other day about Bishop, the bit with Bishop at yeah. the end of uh, Aliens. Yeah, I think I co- I commented on that because I remember specifically remember watching that film and when that happened i couldn't eat my food afterwards <laughs> like that's <laughs> just like that's how much this shit used to affect me oh and that yeah. whole bit when he like so the the queen oh, I love it now. the queen like the queen pierces him with yeah. her tail and he does the yeah, whole like that. he does he, the whole vomit like the milk Ugh. yeah yeah so. yeah i think i think i just had a thing with vomit i think that's what it was <laughs> anything involved vomit, like fake vomiting <laughs> and it was always like exaggerated like it was always exaggerated that little bit more than what the reality of the thing would be oh. and that just makes it even more disgusting uh, such a great yeah. scene and then they rips she rips him in half and his body flings and it's all practical and it's- yeah his legs go one way and his oh. like, torso goes the other and it's like it's yeah it's so it's so good it's so i love good. all that shit i love all that shit oh <laughs> i do too man and when when we do when we do the practical stuff, the I think the trick with practical for it to be to, for it to be elevated, right? You've got like sort of Peter Jackson doing it in his early days where it's just sort of like on the screen for a long period of time and it's just blah, yeah. you know what I mean? And then w- the difference between gore, because that's kind of gore, and then elevated mm-hmm. horror, in quotes, elevated horror, is the amount of time you leave it on the screen. And I think that... Yeah. Um, with a lot of that stuff, it's the trick is cutting right when the audience is being invested in the most. So like right at that point where you're like, what is it? What the fuck? And then you cut. It, I think the longer yeah. you have that stuff, it's the opposite of an illustration. Because uh-huh. with an illustration, the longer it's up there, the more details you could pull in, the further you could sort of recreate like your imagination's filling in the blanks. Like how does that skull move when it shatters? And like, what is, what am I hearing? And your imagination's filling in all that stuff. But with movies, it's the opposite where I'm giving you all that information. And the longer that it's on the screen, the more chance that you have to debunk it. 
to be like, oh, I don't buy this. So I don't like, uh, so the trick is to cut it at the right moment where then their brain is doing the same thing it was doing on an illustration. It's sort of refilling in the blanks and going, oh, where does it go next? And what am I hearing and not seeing? And what does the spine look like when it comes? Like all of that is so much more scary because your mind's making it up, you know? Well, I rewatched um, I rewatched American Wealth in London. Mm. I mean, that film is just it's just amazing. It's awesome, dude. It's so good. It's awesome. I mean, I just I forgot how I forgot how good it is, and it's so it's like the perfect length as well. Yes, it's just like everything about it is just it's just it's just genius. It's Rick Baker, isn't it? It's like he's like the master of all that shit. Oh, dude. I mean, everybody talks about it's an amazing sequence. Uh, it's the transformation sequence with the werewolf, but even. Just when his friend is visiting him as a ghost and his face and his <laughs> neck is tore up and he's got like that flesh. Ugh. It, yeah. Like I watched, I started geeking out about it and I watched like, I watched this, um, some stuff on YouTube of some guy like doing a tour of like all the different locations. Oh, cool. And it's, it, it's making me like want to go because some of the obviously was filmed. Well, it was all filmed in the UK, wasn't it? So yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, okay, I need to go to the Slaughtered Lamb pub, which is like not far from <laughs> where, I, where I live, basically. Um, so I just assume it's, it's like, still full of those dudes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's, like, it's like an hour and a half away from where I live. So I'm like, I'm going to drive there and just go have a pint in the bar. Just because it's still, it's a pub, you know, it actually exists still as a pub today. <laughs> so cool. I don't think it's, it's not, it's not called the Slaughtered Lamb, but like the doorway to like get into the pub is exactly the same. Uh, also, the other things about the other thing I love about that film as well. I'm a massive Rick Mail fan, you know, and he's you know the comedian Rick Mail. Oh he's, yeah, he's like one of the guy. He's one of the guys in the bar. Yeah, very young Rick Mail. Um, but yeah, like that, all that kind of comedy, like the young ones, and um, I loved all that growing up as well. That's funny. That's funny. So, and I always just geek out that Rick Mail's in that scene. <laughs> I. It's a great yeah. fucking movie, man. And you know. Yeah, that was that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> oh, it's just the best. And that was Landis too. That was John Landis that did that, which was like, yeah, yeah. Here yeah. comes this comedy guy, and he's making his way into doing horror stuff. And you're like, what? And I, I, I saw this clip online that it was like, it was a talk show with Landis, John Carpenter, and Cronenberg, and they were all on this, right. and they were all on this panel. It was like, you know, it was like some dry 80s, like, let's talk about horror and current stuff. You know, it was like that kind of shit. And it was these mm -hmm. three dudes that were doing really strange and scary and edgy work for that time period that will then go on to become, you know, uh, immortalized in the horror world. You mm -hmm. know, you, you talk about American Werewolf. You talk about the thing, and I think that was right around the thing for for Carpenter, which was a failure at that time. And then mm -hmm. I think it, I think that was Videodrome. I think it was Videodrome for Cronenberg at that time period. Um, right. And you know those three dudes sitting up on that stage, I don't think they had any idea the influence that they would have over over the business that <laughs> would give them. I think well, Landis I think was it, the most successful. I think it just comes back to like that kind of like genuine creativity thing. They're just doing the thing that they love. Yeah. That's the, they're just doing the thing that they love. And it just so happens that this, that other people recognize it eventually. And it just went down. as like just this amazing creative, you know, whatever you want to call it. These, these beautiful pieces of art that they made. They just did it because they fucking love the creative process. Yeah. 
Um, and the fact that it like did so well and they probably made a load of money out of it is just a bonus for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then That's, you just don't know, right? You don't know what's going to hit. Like you, 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 nope. you talk to Carpenter and he's, he's bitter as fuck because of, you know, uh, that the thing failed miserably because it came out the same mm -hmm. year that ET came out and everybody mm -hmm. wanted uh, Reese's pieces instead of like, let's just sit here and see what happens. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. and you know, that, that was his biggest studio movie. And then because of that, it plummeted him. And so now he wasn't able to do other studio pictures and it sort of put him in a lower a bracket. And now years and years later, people are coming back to him to remake, you know, how many times does Halloween get remade? And then, yeah, um, yeah, you yeah. know, when they went back to him for the thing and it, he was just bitter. He's like, I'm staying at home and playing fucking video games. I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I love that story as well. I have Drew, with the poster for the thing, like Drew Strews, I'm just like, phoned it in as quickly as possible. He didn't have a clue what the film's about. Yes. So he just took a picture. He like take a picture of himself like in a parker jacket and like had the light coming out of it. And it's like, uh, hopefully this is what they're after sort of thing. Yeah. I always think that story is really funny that it's like that post was so iconic, but it was just completely like pissing in the wind kind of yeah. like shit. I need to make a poster. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just don't know. You just don't know. You you don't know, no. Yeah, and you, you, you can't plan for it. And I mean, and and then the question is, if you don't know and you can't plan for it, then isn't the most important thing having fun to do, having fun doing the thing you want to do the most? Isn't that it? Because that's exactly. the only thing you have control over, is that. And the other thing as well is it makes the art more genuine as well, I think, because you haven't got like some big corporation saying, you know, um, you know, we want to like market and make this film in a certain way mm -hmm. to, to appeal to the algorithm and all this shit that like goes on nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's like that was that was like so much as taking a chance on them putting that film out mm -hmm. and hoping that it make and it hoping that it makes some return. It's like Star Wars, isn't it? It's the same thing with George Lucas, like that first movie. Mm -hmm. It's just like they didn't know it was going to do well. Well, and then look at you know? look at look at the look at the modern version of it. You know, like. <laughs> Just become oversaturated and it's just, just kind of lost. It's trash. Lost what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's trash. It's, a shame. it's trash. There's been some cool stuff. I kind of I liked Rogue One. I thought that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Because I actually, I actually, I quite liked Andor as well. Yeah. Uh, apart I, from that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and Mandalorian was pretty cool. Like the first first couple of series, it kind of felt like that sort of sci-fi western thing, and and it had had the practical effects back in there. And, yeah, I, don't know. I, I think I think out of all the selections that you've talked about, I think Rogue One is probably the closest to uh, feeling like there was an odd artist or an auteur behind it with Gareth Edwards. And I, I I'm a Gareth Edwards. I'm a huge fan of him. I love the creator that he just did. Yeah, um, I, I, I still need to see it. I haven't seen it. It's phenomenal. To, it's fantastic, to, dude. Yeah, there's a load of films that I need to see. Um, I'm just always working. Like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I just need to put time to, I like, I want to see that. I want to see the new Godzilla film. It's it's great. That's, um, which, which, which is apparently amazing. It's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I need to go see that. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah. So, well, I've got, you know, I'm good. I've got, I'm sort of breaking up for, for the sort of festive season now. So yeah, you got a few weeks to kind of chill with the fam and I might kind of, yeah, go to the movies. You got to, you got to see those. The Godzilla one is like, if you can get that in the cinema, and if I don't know if you guys, 
if you have close to you like a Dolby cinema, go see it in a spot like that where like the sound system, okay. the sound is key for that. Um, so yeah, definitely see that the creators now on, on, on demand and the creators fucking fantastic. Um, okay. and then I want to see the new Ferrari movie, which is Michael Mann's new movie, which I'm pumped. Yeah. About. My, my wife, actually, she was talking about that last night. She said it looked good. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm pumped about so. that. And I'm being a Michael Mann fan and being like heat fan. I'm actually listening to on audible which they're not a sponsor right now, but listening uh, on Audible <laughs> to Heat 2. He actually wrote the sequel to Heat, which I think they're going to make okay. it to a movie. And that that audiobook is fucking fantastic. It's really cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stuff to check yeah, out. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just recently, um, do you want to wrap this up? No, oh, no, 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 keep going, keep going. What's up, what's up? <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I've just recently uh, watched, well, I've just watched the first series of Dark on Netflix. Have you watched that? Oh, I remember seeing bits and pieces. Is it any good? I really liked it. Huh. It's, the only thing I'd say, it's, it's, it's German, yep. but it's been dubbed in English. Uh-huh. So the first sort of like few minutes, you're like, okay, just do adjust the fact it's been dubbed. But I'm, this, the story is really interesting. And the, the writing's cool because they've got all these different different timelines and all these stories like like one set in the 50s one set in the 80s and then one set in modern day hmm. it's like it's yes yeah, it's, it's really cleverly done but i really enjoyed the first series it's got a good soundtrack as well oh, i'll have to check it out yeah the, I, yeah i just feel bingeable series i feel like i just can't keep up with all this all the stuff on streaming oh man that that like and dark has been on there for quite a while it was just recommended uh, by a uh a uh, friend of mine, there you um, go. an art friend, said, "Oh, check out Dark." I was like, "Okay," because, like you say, it's so overwhelming. There's so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's you, like, I don't know what's good and what's what's you know. Well, but you also want recommendations. See, this is the thing, man. This is the thing. It's not the algorithm. It's not having the fucking you know the cue that just mindlessly is like, "Oh, you like cheeseburgers? Here's seven more fucking cheeseburgers." You want your friend well, to, to do that, you know? Yeah, I just tend not not to like. I tend not to, I don't know, like most sort of mass market films, I don't jump on them straight away unless someone recommends. Yeah. Like all the Marvel stuff and stuff like that, I just kind of like, Ugh. it doesn't really, it's fine. Like it's fine. I love Spider-Man when I was a kid and I have enjoyed the films that I've seen, mm-hmm. but I kind of find it's become very oversaturated and I don't even know what the fuck is going on mm. anymore. I feel that way with yeah. I feel that way with Marvel comics in general right now. Even and uh-huh. and and you know as much naysaying as I would do about the movies, there is a consistency between the ridiculousness of the movies and the ridiculous of the comic books oh, they, themselves. They look right? amazing. They look amazing. Yeah. It's like it's so bombastic and amazingly done. Yeah, yeah. But I just it's like I don't know, man. I just it's just really full on. I, I quite I, I watch the Spider Man films because I like I like Spider Man. Sure, I, I like, loved Spider Man when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, and I like the video games as well. Yeah, oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. There's only so much like there's, I don't know about you, but I find it's like there's only so much stuff I have time for. A hundred percent. Because it's just because there's so much shit to watch, and it's like if I'm going to invest some time in watching some stuff, I want to know that it's. I'm not wasting my time sort of thing. Yeah. And um, I'm also in this mindset too, where like, cause I work in this business. So like by the time I get to the end of the day, like I have trouble sitting down and watching stuff that comes out like shit. And, and then 
it'll start to stir up a lot of anger in me because I'm like, why the fuck can't I get my thing running when this fucking piece of shit's made? And so like you, yeah. you end up in that real sort of negative space. And so it depends on the mode that I'm in. If I'm going to sit down and watch something, oftentimes I'll just go like, I just want to watch a bunch of YouTube shit. I want to watch some brainless shit at the end of the day. I want to be so disconnected from this, the business of this and just yeah. get lost into something. And I, I'm a horrible mm -hmm. person to watch stuff with when I'm not working. <laughs> when I'm not working yeah. and I'm watching it, I'm just like, why the fuck is this yeah. greenlit? You know, like, why is this going? You know, I said to like, like when I'm working, I'm just like, I've normally got a podcast on or like an audio book or mm -hmm. like a movie soundtrack. And I, and, and, you know, sometimes I'll have like, I don't know if you listen to a lot of metal, which is weird. You'd think I would. Like, <laughs> unless I'm like, if, unless I'm like, I don't know, I'm really into what I'm doing, maybe I'll be like, right, I'll stick, you know, a rise on something called Biohazard or something like that. Sure. Just go sure. crazy. Sure. I mean, but, um, I, I can't listen to metal when I'm when I'm writing or doing stuff. I like, because it's, no. it's too overpowering. It, like, it basically will get my adrenaline running at 100% when I don't necessarily need my adrenaline running. And before you know it, you, you flipped your desk and trust is you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is, everything's at that same level where it's just like, why does this feel like yeah. a Michael Bay movie? Why is everybody screaming? <laughs> uh, I have, like, I've got, my studio is like in my, at the bottom of my garden. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes, sometimes I'm a wife will like, she'll pop her head in the door and stuff. She'll come down from the house and be like, you know what? brought you a drink or whatever just come and say hello and she walks to the door and i'm just like all the lights are off and there's just fucking metal blasted out and she just like walks in and just looks at me rolls her eyes and just walks off again <laughs> i yeah man i mean that's that's why i got into i got into synth wave pretty hard because it's and it's surprising how oh, many yeah. how many metal dudes are into synth wave um, because it, it, oh, yeah, same. it it's the same kind of vibe, right? But it's a lot more chill, I guess. It's like, it depends on who you're listening to. If you're listening to like a, like a power glove, like they're real dark and, but it's also gunship and stuff like that. Yeah. But they're also, they're also rhythmic in a certain way that uh -huh. when you're working that rhythmic nature of it helps and it's not. Yeah, it's not uh, you know you don't have Dave Mustaine like creeping into your brain going hello me and yeah. you're like come on dude get out of here get out of here yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 but uh, I still love metal man and I still love you know I, I listen to it a lot in the car it helps with my road rage I listen to that a lot in the car and then um, you know I loved you know seeing it was fucking awesome to go to the Metallica show and see Pantera I didn't even know that Pantera was opening for them. It was such a last minute thing. And to yeah, see, yeah, I know. dude, to see Pantera and then how, how was that? Like how, cause it's obviously with, um, dude, with Zach. Isn't dude, it? it's, I had no idea. So it was a surprise, right? So, uh, oh, okay. last minute, my buddy was like, cause my buddy bought tickets and he's like, do you want to go to see Metallica? And I'm like, I don't know how much of the fucking tickets, dude. And he's like, I got, I already got tickets. You want to go? And I go, all right. So we went, and I had seen Metallica at this point like five times in my life. Mm -hmm. And so we went to it and he goes, uh, there's an opener. And I was like, cool. And he's like, it's a great opener. And I was like, okay. And so we go and it's Pantera. And I'm like, whoa, can Phil still do this, right? So Phil comes out on stage 
and and it's like he starts to you know sing into the microphone you're like oh fuck all right this guy still he can still do his shit and i'm like yeah. but how are they going to replace you know the, the the thing about pantera's guitars is it sounded like someone took a power saw and ran it across their fucking guitars it was so specific Sounded. Yeah, Dome had like a specific sound, didn't he? Yeah, it's just, just the way he held the guitar and played the guitar. Uh, it like was it, so piercing. Yeah. And like, I my favorite album is still Cowboys from Hell and all that shit from those guys. And so... Vol vulgar all day for me. Oh, yeah. oh I see. I, I, I still love that. Wow, like the fucking high screams and shit. Oh, I love it. All the Judas Priest shit on that first album. Oh, dude, I love that. And the, and the fucking guitar stuff. and the, But anyway... Medicine is it medicine, man? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So then uh fucking Zach Wilde comes out. And I'd never seen Zach Wilde play anyways, and he's a fucking hulking dude. Like he's a big yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. And he comes yeah. out and I go, Of course it's Zach Wilde. <laughs> of course. He's like a he's like a heavy metal Viking, isn't he? Oh dude. So fucking big dude. <laughs> and he was great. I mean, he had a whole lot of his noodling, like the blah, 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 like every fucking three seconds, and I'm like, okay, all right dial back some of the wild in this but i kind of think as well if, if anyone's gonna do it it's gotta be him i kind of feel like he's the only it might have been him or kerry king yeah. but i kind of feel like he was the right yes fit because he's like the way he plays is probably it's quite similar to dime anyway yes and you know he's, when i watched them the only thing i wished when i saw them because they came out and they, it was so low i mean they're an opener so like there's no dynamic shit going on it was still pretty well lit in the space mm -hmm. i think uh, phil was walking around barefoot on this, on this thing yeah and you yeah. you watch them and you go they fucking sound epic they sound fantastic mm -hmm. i wish i was seeing them in a club and that's what yeah. I, that's what i wanted was like can, yeah will you guys tour but will you tour in small clubs because that well, was i saw um i saw um the caballero brothers in a just before COVID, oh, so this wow. would have been like 2019 sometime, like late 2019. I saw them in, because I, I live like 30 minutes outside of Birmingham, mm -hmm. which is which is the home of metal. Um, yeah, so yeah, I saw the Cavalera Brothers in like a, an Academy 2, which is like a small, oh. smaller venue, and that was just unreal. Oh. Like Max and Ego were like in front of me, just like playing like loads of. It was the Arise Beneath the Remains tour, oh. so just playing stuff off those records. So you can make like Jenna and Veronic cells, like, oh. like in a small room, you can feel it going through your chest. Like it was so good, dude. So uh, good. I, I I love that, and I look. I'm spoiled, right? Because I spent years as a music video director, and like, um, you know, I got to be in the room with Killswitch Engage while they were rehearsing and shooting the documentary stuff. So like, oh, amazing. like I'm in with those guys. And we did one of our live tour things that we did. Um, we did a concert piece. I think it was during Halloween. And the guys were like, hey, will you do this concert film? And I said, yeah, but I need to be on stage. The way I want to shoot this is I want to shoot this with a wide lens, a close focus lens. <laughs> I need to be on stage. And they said, all right, if you're on stage, then you're a member of the band. You have to perform like us. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. All right, let's do it. And so then it was epic. And I'm, I, I got to jump up on stage. And while they're all playing, they know that I'm part of it. And so they would work with me. And then like Jesse would, I've got like this real close focus wide angle lens. And Jesse uh -huh. would 
climb up on on uh, one of the PAs and I would climb up next to him and I put the camera like right over his shoulder and it's like a Michael Mann sort of wide where you see his face on one side and you see the audience on the other side and he'd sing and he'd bow, bow, bow and then he'd jump off and then I would just keep the camera on the crowd and start pumping my fist in the air of the crowd and the crowd would start to perform and it was just epic and being spoiled and being that close to the the band that you love so much I have trouble going to see bands in stadiums, especially now on these legacy tours where you go and it's like the tickets are fucking like $500 for nosebleed seats. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And like uh, the, I wanted to go see Rob Zombie. I'd never seen Rob Zombie and White Zombie was such a huge part of my, my, my high school. Uh, I saw White Zombie back in the day. Oh, fuck you, dude. Really? Oh. I'm, uh, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I, saw them, I saw them on the Astro Creep tour as well. Oh, um, fuck. At, Donning, at Donnington, and, at, and I was like a teenager. I had a crush on Sean yourself. Oh, well. she's a ma- dude! And talk about not- she had like the bright with the bright sort of yellowy green hair. Oh, and talk about a not not so enough cool. credit goes to her. Like like yeah, her- she was so cool in that band, dude. And her sound, her sound made yeah. that. Look, I love Rob Zombie, but her sound made that fucking whole that that guitar made that. And you know because Rob. Yeah, man. That, that, the other thing as well was like um, you can find the footage from that gig online if you just like type in it's Donington ninety five Donington ninety five White Zombie. Okay, you can find that gig that it's that that year the lineup was like it was um, Machine Head, Bear My Eyes oh. era opening yeah. opening <laughs> in the morning. Um, and then it was uh, corrosion of conformity. I love corrosion of conformity. I love yeah, corrosion deli- of conformity. De- yeah, me too. Deliverance. Deliverance. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I saw them on that same year. I saw them with Megadeth as well that year as well. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So it was there. Then it was. Um, who else was it? Um, it was a uh, Zach Wild band, uh, Pride and Glory. I think they were called. Or oh, was it? Oh, yeah. The- uh, okay. Skid Row. <laughs> <laughs> Skidbro, Sebastian back era. They were fucking awesome. Like it was, it was cool. That's like slave to the grind. I love that record. Oh wow! Um, and then uh, who else? It was um, uh, yeah, White Zombie. Uh, a band called Therapy. Did you know? Did you know Therapy? No, Therapy. They did a song called Scream Major. No, no, no. They were, they were great. They were big in the UK. They're an Irish band that were like really big over here. Okay, uh, I don't think they were. Yeah. I don't think that was so big uh, in America. Yeah, them and then Metallica headlined. Fuck off! Was, that was Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, that was that was Donington '95. It was it was the escape from the studio. It was when Metallica were recording Load, dude, dude. <laughs> and they came out of the studio just to like play Donington, and uh, that was the first time I saw Metallica. I was 15 years old. Oh, dude! I like yeah. When I was a kid working in the music store. The A and R reps used to give us uh, the people that worked in the stores, kind of like payola. They would give us uh, free concert tickets, so I got to see mm-hmm. Metallica a bunch. Um, I went to see Queensrÿche uh, mm-hmm. specifically to see Typo Negative opening for Queensrÿche, and I remember knowing like Jet City Women and Silent Lucidity or whatever their tracks were, and then went to the show and was completely blown away by Queensrÿche's. Um, stage performance at that time where they did almost like a like an operatic play it felt more like meatloaf than it did anything else right. and it was like th- they had these sets and they had extras and 
pianos and wardrobe changes and they would do all this stuff. And it was like, holy fuck. Um, they were amazing. But then uh, Typo Negative, I think I saw them twice. Typo Negative fucking blew me away. Yeah, yeah. They blew me away. Yeah. I, I love that band. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool, isn't it? You have those gigs that you went to when you were younger and it's like burnt into your memory as like oh. just just like the best things. Ever. Like, yeah. Like my first ever gig was Machine Head and Slayer. That's so cool. So cool. And the, it was, it was, yeah, that was um, the Divine Intervention mm-hmm. tour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was too like I was too young when they were like like seasons in the abyss and south of heaven and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. As much as I love those records, I would have been like ten years old or something when they came out. <laughs> so you know, I didn't really get into metal until I was like probably like eleven or twelve years old. I was, Starting, it was you know. it was later for me. Yeah, so for me it was okay. like I was like maybe. 14 15 like one of my best yeah. one of my best friends had a metallica album and he was playing that and i was like what is this and i was like all right all right because prior to that it was weird i really wasn't even thinking about music but music was always around and we were listening to like my parents were listening to like michael jackson and fucking you know same uh, like all the pop the, and yeah. the, the synth pop michael and, jackson david bowie yep david bowie michael jackson uh, although like we did like my parents listened to like Led Zeppelin and stuff as yeah, well when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had to approach my dad about that. Cause I remember I got deep into music strangely because I went to a, a middle school dance and I went to this middle school dance one night and, uh, they, it was the first time I had ever been in a place with like, like big speaker, big PA system, all that kind of shit. Yeah. And they were playing like, you know, whatever the fucking hits were at that time, which was like Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison, like, uh, you know, like Marky Mark of the Funky Bunch, like all that kind of shit. Yeah. And yeah. and I was like, okay. And so like, I went home and I started to listen to like the pop station because I liked the feeling that I felt when I was at that mm-hmm. that place. And then during the, on the pop station, they would play Guns N' Roses. And I was like, who the fuck is this? Because yeah. it was completely yeah. different, completely yeah. different. And, uh, and so I was like, I like this more. And so then I started to go further down into like the Guns N' Roses and then it was the Metallica and then it was all of that. It's the same as me. This is like the same as me. Yeah. Guns N' Roses was because like Terminator 2 yep. come out. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you could, you could be mine. And I was like, what the fuck is that? This yep. is cool. Yep. Uh, yep. and then it was like Metallica and then it was Faith No More. Oh, darn. like yeah, almost. Yeah. That was like, yeah. So, yeah, dude. I think I heard Epic, like you know. So then I just listened to the real. My, my, my older brother had Epic on CD, uh, had uh, yeah, the real thing on CD. So yes, and so I just listened to that record all the time. Yes, because it was like really poppy, but it was metal. I loved um, it. I loved it, dude. And then it was the era of yeah. MT- it was the era of MTV, and so like you uh-huh. would, I would stay up just to try to catch these metal uh, videos because. MTV was sort of transitioning at that point. And so you're getting like, there's a reason why I like the original George Michael album. Cause you're seeing those videos all the time. You're seeing Madonna videos all the time. And then yeah, Madonna. on, on a, like a rare occasion, you'd see a guns and roses video. And, and when guns and roses was doing like fucking $2 million budget videos, like uh, don't cry. November rain, November rain, estranged 
oh, I love that fucking video for Strange. I've had the yeah. cinematographer for those videos on the show, and all we did was talk about it. He also shot oh, cool. he, he also shot Texas Chainsaw. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about Texas Chainsaw. Let's talk about the Guns N' Roses videos. The, the, the <laughs> thing that for me was like, it was like, because um, the, the Black Album was such a big thing at that time as well. Yeah. I know, like a lot of old school Metallica fans, like, oh, they hate the Black Album. Yeah. But for me, that record was huge for me Massive. Like, when I was a kid, and it just it did so much for that scene as well. It brought it like shined this massive spotlight on all these bands, all these thrash bands. It did so much. Massive, dude. Um, Oh, massive! And then, of course, like me and my buddy, have you watched the uh, year and a half of my life of Metallica? Mm-hmm. You've got the VHS tapes about like, like the, the first one and the second one. The first one was like the recording of the album, and the second one being the, the tour. Mm-hmm. And you should just watch those videos on repeat and just be like, man, Metallica are like the fucking coolest band in the world. Yeah, dude, they just, were. I, they, yeah, they just learned a lot as well from that as well, like watching the recording process and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So interesting to me as, a, as like a like 12, 13 year old kid. So this is this is so cool, dude, dude, um, dude, and, and and that's where it started for me. Well, I, I mean, and they were such a massive. They they were so smart, right? Because they were a grassroots band that was all mm-hmm. about family and it was all about fans, and so that was their thing. Mm-hmm. And they were fan oriented for years, and then they were a band that just toured, like they just fucking toured. That's all they did was like bam, 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 show, 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 and so you had such a rabid fan base of like the Injustice fans and the Master <clears throat> Puppets fans, like uh, all those guys were just part of that community. Like we're nothing without you. And that was the whole thing with Metallica. Like it's all about you. It's all about the fans. It's all about the fans. And then mm. when they did Black, you, there was that huge divide that you were talking about where mm. I think was Black, no, Black wasn't Rick Rubin. Black was Bob, what's his name? Bob Rock. Bob Rock, Bob, Bob Rock. Bob Rock did that. The yeah. Motley Crue guy, yeah. Because he did, he did um, Dr. Feelgood. You, like, if you listen to the drums on like that album and you listen to the Black album, they're yes. like, the drum sounds the same. Yes. So yes. I think it's like, he was like, oh, he got the Motley Crue guy. Yes. And Bon Jovi as well. <laughs> He's done like the Faith album. Yep. Yeah, that record, whatever that record's called, they've all got that same like drum sound, which sounds massive. Yeah, it's the reverb, and it's yeah, and it's all analog. It's so cool, man! It's so cool, and that just like set the sound, I think, for metal. Yes, uh, because so many bands after that just tried to make their records sound like the Black Album. A hundred percent, dude, and and then and then that sort of it, metal transitioned from being uh, something that was that was coming out of. Uh, some kid's van and everybody in that van had long hair, were completely awkward and they're wearing like illustrated t-shirts to suddenly being played in the locker rooms by all the football jocks. Like at that same period, you had that jump that happened where it wasn't just an exclusive club anymore. Now, you know, you've got fucking Pantera being played while dudes are in the gym working out, you know, and it, it became a whole different metal became more mainstream at that point yeah and i think yeah i think your, how do you how do you i always ask this how do you rank your metallica albums like if you could put them in order well, how would you rank them because i know what mine is well it's, it sort of changes a little bit but depending on how i'm feeling i think but i always think it's in, i always think it's interesting to yeah to see what people say with the, with this i think top for me is uh master of puppets then uh-huh. it's if i'm being truthful 
like what I listen to the most. It's yeah. Master of Puppets. It's Black. Uh, it's Ride the Lightning. Um, then Mate. Nah, I don't even listen to Load or Reload anymore. I try to. No, I don't. Yeah. No, and and honestly, I really didn't give a fuck until Lux Eternal came out. And I thought Lux Eternal was great. Lux Eternal ends up on that list. That one track. Yeah, that they yeah, did. But, yeah, yeah. Mine's uh, it's it's either it's either uh, Justice mm-hmm. number one. It's kind of it, it's either that or Ride the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Then then it's then I'd say it's Black Album. Okay. Then I'd say, then I'd say Master of Puppets. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, I get it. That's 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 kind of like those are the records that I've listened to the most. Um, but I or, and I know like people are like oh, Justice, it's going based on it and stuff. But I just love all the riffs and the, the just the songwriting on that record is so they're amazing. So good. They're amazing, dude. And it's, and I agree with you listening to your 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 list. And if you had asked me years ago, my list would probably have been pretty similar to it. But I think what happened is once I sort of fell out of metal for a while because I felt like it got mm-hmm. real fucking boring. It sort of got to a mm-hmm. point where it was like it got real nerdy and technical and there really wasn't any sort of heart behind it anymore it felt that way yeah um Mm -hmm. then i would just listen to specific songs and the songs that i would listen to all the time are off those albums and so yeah distilled now years later that would be my order of operations for it and you know surprisingly as we get real nerdy so some people listening are like we're not metal fans um (laughs) but surprisingly when yeah deal with it it's my show guys um (laughs) When uh, Load came out and Reload, and there was that whole gap of time, I got huge into Megadeth, and I thought I thought Megadeth was actually putting out better, more consistent work for quite some yeah. time. For quite some time, I thought Megadeth was much better than Metallica was. Yeah, rest yeah. in peace. That album never gets old, dude. But even like I never, I never get bored of that record. I love that one, or or um, or Euthanasia, or uh, yeah. Even later on, right when everybody was countdown to extinction as well. Yeah, dude, it's a good record. But like, even when they were, uh, you know, when everybody was doing like Metallica was doing the load stuff, and Megadeth was kind of doing their radio friendly stuff. Their radio friendly stuff was better than the stuff that Metallica was doing. So, is that like Risk? And yes, is that like the? Is it Risk? Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, I love the um. What's the B-Sides record as well that they released? Um, is it Hidden Treasures? Yeah, it's got yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. got like Go to Hell like from the Bill and Ted soundtrack. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Angry Again from Last Action Hero. and That song's great too, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, they're so good. Yeah. So good. They're great. We almost worked with them. <laughs> we almost worked oh, with them. Oh, wow. Yeah, but then Mustaine got a little crazy in his older age, and we were kind of like, I don't know if we want to deal well, with Well, weirdly, I, su- I, did, I submitted a design for them actually really? a thick yeah did a big railhead um design and it was all going through their merchandiser and apparently everything had to go through dave mustaine and it just kind of went dead like i don't know what happened with it, it just yeah. i never finished i just kind of finished it up for myself and that was that yeah, but, he yeah. got a he he got a little crazy as far as like religion and everything got it. So we we hit a point where we're like, because when you do music videos, you're collaborating with them so fucking hard, and then there's a sense of trust, and then there's you know 
as you get older and you're in this business longer and you realize that, you know, music videos really don't do fuck all for your career. And the only reason why you're going to do them is because you're going to have a good time. We started to get mm -hmm. very picky with what acts that we would be trapped in a fucking room with for like 12 plus hours and going like, mm -hmm. is, is this guy going to be a pain in our balls? And, uh, you know, we, I, I had a couple red flags go up with the mistake that we were like, nah, okay. Yeah. I don't know if we want to, but, um, yeah. but yeah, man, like, I, and, and then, you know, it was Astro creep that cut through everything. I remember, you know, because what you were talking about with the black album, sort of setting the tone for everything that was coming out at that time period. And if all started to with metal, it happens this way, right? Like there's an outlier that shows up and does something amazing. And then everybody sort yeah. of, tries to play to that level and it starts to sound the same and then uh fucking white zombies astro creep just crept right in there and the, the guitar, that's cool the guitar the, the fucking guitar the wow and the slide that she was using on that guitar that just yeah. fucking just cut through everything and that album was so fucking good. Like the Astro Creep, I can listen to it all the way through. To it. I couldn't really think anything else that was like it. Cause it had that kind of like, almost like sort of black album kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. driving force and sound and tone to it. But with all these like cool, weird, like what's well, industrial sort of, sort mm -hmm. of thing stuck on top. And then there's the, all these like horror samples and mm -hmm. shit all over it. And yeah. And the, the, the organs and stuff like that. It was just so cool. So cool, man. And at that same time, this is me getting real nerdy and we won't, we won't go too much longer, but um, at the same time, um, when I was working in the music store, the music store had a transition. I think it was bought out and it became more corporate. And before we could mm -hmm. play whatever we wanted. And then there hit a point yeah. where I think there was some sort of payola that happened where, you know, they gave us these tapes every month and we had to play just these specific tapes in the store, which was, you know, talk about like, uh, you know, clockwork orange, drive yourself fucking insane. You know, they, yeah. they gave you a tape labeled alternative. They gave you a tape labeled metal. And then on this 60 minutes would be these tracks that you would listen to over and over and over and over again. And, yeah. Uh, most of the people that worked there weren't metal fans. And so I was the only guy that would come in and play the metal stuff. And on the metal tape, there were two, there were two bands that I wouldn't have listened to if it wasn't for that. And one was typo negative and they had, uh, wow. uh, bloody kisses on there. And, yeah. uh, I fucking fell in love with Peter Steele's voice. And then yeah. the other was ministry. And this was yeah. when ministry was at their peak of industrial. So yeah. it was filth pig. And I love that fucking album. It's the sludgiest, like fucking best album. Filth pig is really great. And then their other one, dark, okay. dark side of the spoon. Okay. Two killer ministry albums that no one ever gives credit to. <clears throat> um, okay. I have to go and have a listen. Dude. And and like I've missed out. Dark Side of the Spoon is so weird. They have horns. Okay. They have all sorts of weird shit. But then um, Filth Pig is so sludgy. It's just duh, duh, duh. it's so fucking sludgy. Um, okay. And awesome and driving and awesome. You got to listen to those albums if you haven't heard them. Yet. Okay, I'll check them out. I'm definitely gonna go back and listen to Astro Creep again. No, yeah. after speaking about it, I haven't listened to it for so long. Dude, I love that album so much. <laughs> yeah, it's still, as I remember, it still sounds really good as well. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. 
Luke, I got to call it here, man. I mean, you and I could get real nerdy on metal for hours. Yeah, I could be here for hours, honestly. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah, just go down this wormhole of talking about stuff. That's it. I'll be here forever. Like I said, <laughs> I'm sat here like all day on my own, like drawing shit. So like if someone like, wants to talk to me, I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you like for eight hours if you want me to. <laughs> I love it, man. At, at a certain point, my you know the host in me has to kick in, and I'm like, "All right, how many? Let's, all right, so everybody under the age of 25 just left." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, for those of you listening who are younger that are listening to the show, and you've always wanted to sort of get into some metal stuff, you really should listen to this kind of shit, man. Because um, I, I, it's weird to me, and I'm sure you feel the same way. These came out, and they were the albums that came out in our youth. And I don't feel yeah. like I'm introducing you to some sort of underground stuff, but I kind of am now with how the metal has mm -hmm. sort of fallen off the map so hard. And there's been a death of rock and roll and death of metal. And there are so many young listeners out there who don't know what's there. And the last thing I'll say about this, I never thought when I was a kid, because the metal that we listened to was exponentially more hard more dangerous than the metal that our parents listened to, right? Yeah. Because it all yeah. comes from like Black Sabbath, which is a, ultimately yeah. like a dark jazz band, really. And so I always thought when I was, you know, uh, in my 20s or a teen, I'd go, what is the metal that the next generation, it's going to be fucking crazy. Like what's the metal going to sound like for the next generation? And it does, it actually went completely in the other direction. And it feels so less hard. It feels so less intense right now. And I think there's like, I think there is, there is stuff I would say is like, you, you know, you get into like your slip knots and stuff like that. Sure. I would say that is like heavy. Like the early Slipknot stuff, like the first couple of records. Yeah, but dude. But yeah. Yeah, but you, you, there, are new, there are new bands that I listen to now, like newer bands that I listen to now. Yeah. But I do always find myself going back to, I don't know if that's like a nostalgia thing now. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I always find myself going back to like, I'm going to listen to Rage Against the Machine. Or I'm going to listen to Biohazard. I'm going to listen to Helmet. Oh, I fucking talk love about Helmet. the album Meantime for hours. Oh, I love that album, dude. I love that album. Dude, that's that fucking record. Oh, yeah. So anyway. Good. But I need to shut up because you'll never like. You'll never <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, let me know, guys, if you're listening to the show, uh, leave me comments, leave me questions on uh, Instagram. I'm sure you could do the same to Luke on his Instagram. If you guys want recommendations on great metal albums to listen to, um, I'm, I'm more than happy to tell you because I feel like there aren't people out there telling this right now. So there, there is a world. There is a world where uh, the guitars were loud, the stage performances were stunning, and the front men were iconic. And it, it, it does exist, and it is cool as fuck. And if you want to dive down deep into that nerdum with us, leave, leave comments. Leave, send us oh, some man. questions. Um, Luke, thank you, man, for being on the show. I've had, it's been a pleasure to spend my yeah, early yeah. morning Monday talking to you about all this nerd shit man honestly man thanks so much for asking me it's been really cool talking and having a good nerd out on all things metal and film and art and stuff yeah it's been great thanks man
There it is. Episode in the can. <sighs> I love these ones. You know, I like Luke. He's cool. Him and I, <laughs> him and I got a real nerdy man. And uh, I had to call it because uh, we could we could have kept getting even more nerdy. It's like every time I would mention an album, he'd mention an album. I go, fuck, I forgot about that helmet album. Oh, that album's great. And then when we got offline, we were both were talking about it afterwards. And I'm like, you got to listen to this album again. He's like, you got to listen to this album again. Um, I, I just love that, man. It just, like there's such a pleasure and a joy from hanging out with someone that has good taste and is willing to uh, suggest things to you. And I love sharing things. And so, like I said on the show, if you guys want recommends for metal albums from when I was a kid, um, and you guys want to sort of get introduced into the metal scene again, uh, write me on Instagram, send me, uh, just what a, send me a question, send me a comment, be like, yo, can you give me some recommendations to listen to something? And I will. I'll try to post some, I'll make a note of this. I'll try to post some album art from other uh, metal acts this week as we put this album out uh, and just sort of celebrate that world and celebrate the world of illustration and music and all the cool things, man. And we, we touched upon it in this episode. And I mean this. You will get more results from putting yourself out there. So the trick is create your art, spend that time, work really hard, lock yourself in a closet somewhere, figure out how to do your thing and figure out how to find your passion. You don't have to be done. You don't have to be refined, but just find your passion. Then when you go out, you know, you go out on a Friday, you go out once a week, twice a week, pick a cool place to go um, and surround yourself with the people that do the stuff that you love. So if it's music, go to see shows. If you're big into comic books and comic book illustration, go to comic book shops. Go hang out with those folks in those places. You know, like go to comic cons. Go talk to the artists that you love. Go talk to the people that do that kind of thing. If you're in the movie business, go see screenings. There's so many screenings that happen out here in Los Angeles. Go to a screening. Hang out for the Q&A. Stick around later. Talk to people that are there. Talk to other fans that are there. You never know. You never know who you're going to meet. That is the best way to do that shit. And you'll have so much more success than you will on Instagram, okay? Because there isn't some fucking algorithm standing between you and that person in that room. The only thing standing between you and that person is the balls to do it. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate everybody. And uh, like I said, uh, we'll have a Christmas episode coming up later this week. So till then, I'll see you later.